0: This episode is brought to you by ArcTeryx. When Jordan Cannon, a young climber infatuated with climbing history, meets climbing legend Mark Hudon, a Yosemite Big Wall free climbing pioneer, they form an unlikely partnership around a common goal. Jordan wants to free climb the free rider on El Capitan, in a day, and Mark hopes to free the route in as many days as it takes and accomplish his lifelong goal of free climbing El Capitan. Follow their story in free as can be, a short climbing film brought to you by Arcteryx. I watched the film over the summer. It's 31 minutes long. It's so well done. It's a story of climbing partnership and adventure. And if you love this podcast, especially if you love the episodes from Yosemite Climbers and stories from the side of El Cap, then I know you'll love the film. So check it out. Head over to YouTube and search for Arc'teryx Free As Can Be or use the direct link right there in your podcast app to watch the full 31-minute film for free. Once again, you can head to YouTube and search for Arc'teryx Free As Can Be or use the direct link right there in your podcast app to watch the full 31-minute film for free. Arc'teryx presents Free As Can Be. And we hope you enjoy the film. This episode is also brought to you by Fizzy Vantage. I have been taking the Fizzy Vantage Supercharged Collagen every day for months, probably close to a year now, and I love knowing that my tendons and my ligaments, the soft tissues in my fingers are getting all the building blocks they need to get stronger. Supercharged Collagen is a research-based athlete-proven supplement that supports collagen synthesis in connective tissues and the force transfer matrix of muscle. What the hell does all that mean? Well, to me, it means that if you want stronger fingers, you should be supplementing with collagen. I personally take some collagen in the morning with my breakfast, and then I take a scoop of it an hour before my finger training if I'm doing some heavy finger training that day or if I'm climbing on the moon board or something really high intensity on my fingers. I still have a long way to go in my own finger strength journey but it's coming along and I definitely think the extra collagen is helping if you would like to feel the fizzy vantage head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code nugget 15 at checkout to save 15% off your next order that's fizzyvantage.com use code nugget 15 at checkout to save 15% off your order. And finally, this episode is brought to you by Crimped. This is the best app I have seen when it comes to self-coached training for rock climbing. If you are a self-coached climber or you're interested in training for the very first time after listening to all of my amazing episodes on this podcast, I'm joking. Crimped was designed to give you a professional training experience right there in your pocket. All of the workouts in the app are crafted by world-class climbers and coaches, Tom Randall, who has been on the podcast, and his partner, Ollie Tor, who's coming up on the podcast, hopefully this fall, of Lattice Training. You can find workouts that are tailored to help you improve your endurance, power endurance, finger strength, conditioning, you name it. Whatever physical traits you want to work on to get better at climbing, It's in the app. With Crimped, training on your own has never been easier. So check out Crimped. Go to crimped.com, that's C-R-I-M-P-D.com, to get started and download the Crimped app for free. That's crimped.com, or find the Crimped app in the App Store to get started with your training. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt, and my guest today is Aiden Roberts. Aiden is a 23-year-old from the UK. I believe he's 23. He might be 24, depending on when his birthday is. I first learned about Aiden a few years ago when he came to Colorado and had an absolutely incredible trip. He showed up in Rocky Mountain National Park and put down a bunch of boulders, V12 and Harder, really quickly and really made an impression. That's when he first came on my radar. And in the last couple of years, Aiden has established himself as one of the strongest boulderers in the world. And I was really excited to talk to him. Aiden's a really thoughtful guy. He's a really sweet guy. He's really easy to talk to and super friendly. And he gives a lot of attention to his climbing and thinks a lot about how he climbs. That was the thing that stood out to me most from this interview. We covered many, many topics, including his training and preparation for the trip that he is currently on in Switzerland. We recorded this almost a month ago on October 5th, about a week before Aiden left on a trip for Switzerland to try a boulder called Alfain, a V17 put up by Sean Rabatou. And spoiler alert, in case you haven't seen the news, Aiden sent the boulder about a week into his trip and became the first person to repeat an established V-17 and only the fourth person in the world to climb V-17. So congratulations to Aiden. Absolutely amazing. And Again, just so that this is really clear to everybody listening, we recorded this before he left on his trip, but we did talk a lot about his preparation and his training for Alphane. He was in the final stages of getting ready to leave for his trip to try the boulder. So we talked a lot about that and we covered a lot of other topics in this conversation. I loved it. I'll leave it at that. I'll let you guys discover the rest. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation. With v seventeen climber Aiden Roberts. Hey. Hey. How you doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, yeah, not bad. Oh, nice to see you, van. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Yeah, where was I last time? Oh, I was at the I was at the pavilion at the Rock Ranch. That's right. You wanna, you yeah, you want to you want the 2 yeah, second yeah. tour? This is pretty much it. Yeah. Go, yeah, go on. <laughs> oh, it's nice in there. Thank you. <laughs> I like
1: it. Oh, it's kind of kind of the dream, huh? Working the working on the
0: road from your van? It is the dream. I'm yeah. I mean every day that I have the thoughtfulness to stop and reflect, I'm you know, of course we take take everything for granted sometimes, but I'm super grateful for it. I love it so much.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, good yeah, on man. you. Yeah, I know. Uh, and he, are you still um, uh, sport climbing? You were uh, doing yes. some li- vert, vert limestone when I was last Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, vertical to slightly overhanging, pocketed and crimpy limestone in 10 Sleep, Wyoming. And we're here for about 10 more days. So probably, oh, nice. I think we have like six or seven more climbing days, hopefully. Um, weather looks great, so... I'm hoping oh, to take perfect. down my. Uh, I've got like a 13D8B project I've been trying, and then I'm trying to do some, some 512s and and some other stuff. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Oh, I'm gonna go nice. try it today. Yeah. Are
1: you getting the getting the weather for it now?
0: Because it was quite warm when you I spoke to you. Yeah, week. it's perfect now. But it's funny because Ten Sleep used to always be like the summer spot. You know, like everyone would come here in August and July and August, and they still do. And August used to be like cent temps and wearing puffies to belay and now it's October is like the new season. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Changing the times of the year, hey. Eh? <laughs> yeah. It's a bit uh, the seasons are uh, shifting a little bit. But <laughs> how are <laughs> but, uh, you? yeah, no, good. Yeah, I'm doing well actually. Um yeah, seasons changed here in the lakes as well. Uh, definitely getting uh, some classic autumnal lakes weather which is uh often very wet <laughs> so, <laughs> okay So not so cold yet but uh a lot of rain
0: um, oh great still warm and rainy that's not <laughs> ideal for <laughs> bouldering especially yeah. on the type oh, of not... stuff you'd like to do yeah yeah it's <clears> definitely cooled down
1: a bit but uh yeah no we're on the verge of uh, micro flooding so uh, <laughs> it's oh really it's quite uh it's quite we we get a lot of rain in the lakes anyway but, um no, I when autumn's good, it's amazing. We've had a couple of nice days. So uh, yeah, always make the most of those. But um, yeah, no, it's uh, I've been going well. Uh, I'm off to Switzerland next week, actually. So I've uh, yeah. been preparing for that. And yeah, it's
0: been really fun. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to dig into that later in the conversation. I'm curious, are you uh are you mixing in outdoor days when you can, or are you just like head down in training mode for this upcoming trip?
1: Um this upcoming trip has been has been slightly uh complicated. I was on a really good trajectory and then uh had like a little athlete meet one weekend um i don't usually i don't usually see so many people when I'm in my routine in the lakes but I knew I had one sociable weekend and uh, an athlete meet and Picked up some COVID, so <laughs> uh, which was my first round of it. Um, right, and that, right. that stopped play a little bit. So I had a couple of weeks off, but it was quite good for my... Um, I had a little injury as we have anyway, which is now pretty much nipped in the bud. Um, nice. But uh, yeah, no, now I'm in like my latter stages. I'm actually mostly inside, but the reason for that is I've got like a replica of alphane, which is the thing i'm mostly going to try um and i set that up on my board a few weeks ago um and it's funny on the actual climb i had a similar progression as well like the first session i think i did all the moves in the first session i tried on it but like they were like the living end on that session and then it was like the next session like i could maybe link a couple of moves together and every session it just like very linearly improved and i'd like make bigger and bigger links every session uh, until i felt pretty close and it was funny i was like kind of not in the i'd had like my finger injury so i wasn't moving very well on my board um and i kind of like was rehabbing that at the same time as well as trying to like train specifically for this thing so it's a bit like juggling um a juggling a bit of a balancing act between pushing it and staying reserved enough to recover. But um, anyway, after a bit of like forced rest uh, and properly rehabbing it well, uh, I uh, had like a similar situation. Like I went from like just about doing the moves to making good links. So it's quite, hopefully, I was quite detailed about that. Uh, Maybe I think there's definitely differences between the replica and the climb in that Mm. I think that the actual climb is much steeper um but the holds are probably a bit better yeah because it's steep the holds have to be more positive my board's 50 and i think the actual thing is probably i'm not sure quite how steep it is but maybe like 65 it's pretty steep oh wow okay um so it's not it's not exactly the same but uh i made sure like when i was actually on the climb usually the way i approach a climb it's like i'll have i'll rehearse it in isolation and end up with like a few like bullet points which like I can like simplify all the little tricks I've learned into like small, like points for each move, then that's like my way of like learning a move. And so if I make sure that like the things that would usually fail or like the little bullet points I have to remember for each move, if I make sure that those limiting factors, when I fall off a move, uh, are targeted for each move that I set a replica of, then that's like, that's like kind of like a win for me. It feels like I'm uh, I'm hitting the right stimulus, so uh, I had to play around a bit setting that up, but because I've got that, it now means that that's the most specific thing for me to train on, really so uh, I've just been mostly using that for the last couple of weeks, okay,
0: oh man, mm-hmm. Aiden, I'm so excited about this yeah <laughs> let's uh I'm already yeah, that's already so interesting. I'm so excited to hear more about those bullet points, how you think about that, trying a project, and how you simplified things down so you can focus on them in your training and Yeah, I don't know. I've got so many bullet points on my outline. I'm really excited for this conversation. And I had a question for you before we dive into uh, just the conversation and letting it roll. Um, I'm already recording and we just rolled right in as I knew we would because you're so easy to talk to, but people are very, very interested in you. I like to... um, So I have Patreon. I have a bunch of patrons who support the podcast and I always whenever I remember to, and when it's not a super last minute conversation, I reach out to my patrons and say, here's who's coming up, you know, here's a little bit of information about this person. Let me know if you have questions for them, you know, and I either consider that in the way I shape my own outline, or I just ask their questions outright. And I don't think I've ever gotten this many questions for somebody ever, like not even close. I've, I got like two dozen questions for you. Um, oh, really? an, an overwhelming number of questions. People are very interested in this guy from the UK, Aiden Roberts, and, uh, who, you know, in his amazing crimp strength. And I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if we could do this the way that I did, uh, an interview with Ron Kauk, where I just stick to the outline. We just have whatever conversation we have. And then maybe you and I can do a follow-up where we just do like a listener Q and A and just tackle yeah, a bunch yeah. of them. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, yeah, no, that that works well for me. I'm
1: almost quite surprised by that. I guess, like, maybe I'm especially secretive and. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. But, but I feel like... Who is this the, guy? <laughs> on the scale of climbers you talk to, I'm probably pretty... Uh, I feel like I'm probably quite small, small fish to <laughs> in terms of like influence over the climbing community. <laughs> <you know?
0: laughs> I don't know. I mean, it is that perfect balance, maybe, where you're you're climbing at like an absolute top of the world, sort of world-class level. And also there's not that much information about you. So people are fascinated, I think. And you've also, you know, we've teased you in other conversations. Like I talked to Dan Varian and we talked about you a little bit and I talked to Tom Herbert and we talked kind of about you a little bit. So you've just, you know, you've, you've, without even meaning to, you've kind of created this allure, I think, but okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. we're five minutes into an interview and uh, we've already got the next one booked. So that's great.
1: Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Let's
0: that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's just on me to <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. to not botch this one. So you actually want to come back? <laughs> no, no, I'm all, I'm all game. I'm Looking forward to all those questions. (laughs) Nice. Well, um, I'll give a little context about Alfane, since you already mentioned that. Um, I actually watched the film Alfane this morning. Um, I hadn't gotten around to watching it yet. And the film Alfane, it's uh, a group of, of guys in Switzerland bouldering and... The name of the film is named after a specific boulder problem. That's the feature of the film. Sean Rabatou Sean Rabitu does the first ascent of this V17 called Alfane. This amazing-looking, long. Is it granite? Looks like granite to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the, most of that uh Ravi is
0: granite. Yeah, it just it just looks absolutely stunning, and it's the super long. Sean breaks it down as either like V15 into a V16 without a rest or a V14 into a fifteen. He's not really sure, but. Certainly one of the hardest boulder problems in the world, Um, top three for sure that's been done, maybe even the hardest. So um, you were in that video, you were featured and I kept catching little snippets of you, which was fun. And you and I talked a week ago and we talked about your training for that boulder. So I would love to dive into more of that in a second, but it was really funny. So that's about a 45 minute feature film. It's, It's amazing, it's beautiful, it's really well edited. It's super fun to watch it's got some hard music behind it. Like it's got hip hop and rap. And I just was like watching it, just like foaming at the mouth, you know, just like, yes, I want to go bouldering. And uh, I finished that. And um, I think the first time I was introduced to you, a friend told me about your trip to Rocky Mountain National Park back in like 2018 or 19. And yeah, uh, 2019. 19, okay. And there's this little film that came out, it's like six minutes long, that came out on uh, the Mellow Climbing Channel. That's where the Alphain film is as well, called Aiden Roberts Crushing in Colorado. And I'd watched that a few years ago before I started the podcast, and I just rewatched that this morning as well after Alphain. And it was the juxtaposition of those two films was really funny because, you know, it's these dudes crushing in Switzerland and uh, to hip hop and rap and stuff. And then it's this six minute film of Aiden Roberts, like just absolutely smashing a bunch of boulders like v12 and harder to elton john's rocket man and just like the vibe of the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the film was <laughs> was so different and so cool did you choose that song for that film and and if so why that one that was really interesting to me
1: no that wasn't me that chose that so uh, i just uh, that that trip was the first time i met all like
0: the people
1: behind mellow uh, i'd met like um the year before 2018 um i'd been to colorado as well but just for the world cup i barely climbed outside that trip and i met keenan takahashi um when i was out there and so kept in touch with him um and yeah i re- re- really like him he's a super nice guy so the next year i went back and kind of uh, planned a bit of a longer trip and he introduced me to a lot of like i went out climbing with um Daniel for the first time at the start of that trip and then got to know like Sean and Giuliano fruit Giuliano was visiting at the same time. So got to know them then. And, uh, uh, so I just sent the footage to Giuliano. He said, I'll do a little edit for Mello. Uh, and yeah, chose rocket man. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was nice. It's uh kind of, maybe does capture it a bit my like climbing experience a bit better than, um, the hip hop and rap, like, I can get like motivated and like psyched, I guess, watching stuff like that. I really enjoyed that Alfane film and that kind of style where it gets you like your fingertips sweaty just watching it. <laughs> I like, I, I really enjoy that. But the state that I usually have to find for me to climb is a lot less like I never get myself hyped up or anything. Mm. It's like I find my like level of focus through relaxation or like mm. a lot of calm. I feel, yeah. I have find I have to like calm myself down, like kind of relax to focus to climb hard as opposed to getting myself all fired up, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's interesting, but I enjoy it from the sidelines
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice um um that makes me curious what do you do um like you know w- one boulder that stood out from that film, I mean, for people listening, it's a six minute film of just like send back to back to back to back, just like hard send after hard send of Aiden just climbing these classics in Rocky Mountain. I think everything in the film is V12 or harder. Uh, but the one that really stood out to me was Jade, just because that's a really well-known boulder problem, V14 up in uh, Upper Chaos on the Green 45 boulder. And watching you do that, I was like, yes, like this is such a perfect example of what sets this guy apart. Like It's this you know, 45-degree overhang on these tiny little messed up cramps. I've felt the holds. I've gone up and tried the stand start a little bit. And um, you just make it look like a V5. Like it just looks so in your wheelhouse and so controlled. You're so good at just locking in on tiny little holds like that on that style. And um, you're absolutely one of the best in the world at that sort of thing. And so, I mean, that's going to be at the heart of a lot of what we talk about today, like how you've gotten so good at that. And I'm also so interested with you in a conversation that we had a week ago, we talked a lot about climbing style and you really seem to have reflected on and embraced your own climbing style and doubled and tripled down on becoming one of the best at that versus what you could have done, which is, okay, I'm going to become like a perfectly well-rounded climber and always be attacking my weaknesses and trying to be able to do everything. It seems like you've really chosen to um, just go all in on that kind of crimpy locked in sort of sort of board style of climbing and that shows in all a lot of the hardest rock climbs you've done I feel like I'm rambling yeah. all, I'm all over the place but um no no in terms of yeah I think at that point I was kind of at the
1: transition phase of like I'd been doing a lot of comps and I was kind of transitioning to mostly just focusing on outdoor climbing during that trip in Colorado um kind of I hadn't completely decided on it at that point. It took me a long time, but
0: it took me a couple of years to phase out. Um, I hadn't decided on leaving competitions. What do you mean?
1: Yeah. So I, 2018, I was pretty much just like, that was my first year as like a senior competitor. I'd done all the, I'd pretty much focused on youth comps uh, in the early years of my climbing. Um, 2018, I transitioned to the senior comps, pretty much focused on, just on the competitions. And then by 20, I like, was a bit disappointed by it, or like, not disappointed by it. I felt dissatisfied with how I'd climbed in the competitions. I also feel like the actual feeling of doing the competitions wasn't quite as fulfilling as maybe like I'd expected it would be. Um, and at the end of that season, well, near the tail end of that season, I took a really long trip to Rocklands which was my first time going and like the, it was like, I never really done just like a long trip abroad bouldering before. And I think i had done a lot of training uh, over the previous few years. And it was in quite like classic UK style, which like, um, like the origins of like board climbing often like originated around um, the UK. And I've always been like a real advocate for training on a board. And so, my training really hard was usually reflected by, or like me on good form was reflected by how well I was climbing on a board, which in hindsight, maybe I should have thought about it a bit more. It doesn't translate that well to competitions. Um, But I'd done a lot of training for the competitions. A lot of it had been that. And as a result, I was on pretty good form on a board, which actually translates way better to climbing outside. Mm. So I went to Rocklands and, I kind of kind of knew that i always i've always liked functioning i've always liked being in the outdoors and i really like how like climbing outside can can like really immerse us in nature and like kind of is a real nice point of contact with the natural world and i kind of had a stark contrast of like dipping about between all these competitions to being like in one place like i think i went for five and a half weeks or six weeks or something and like just really immerse myself in that world which is very like it's very different to any scenery i've been in before so it was like it's really cool to be like just outside every day um in somewhere very novel and like really get to know a place and every climbing day i had i had so much fun and like glimpses of euphoric moments that you can have in competitions which were very rare but Um, like kind of like there's like an addictive nature to it you're like oh the next one could be it kind of thing mm. kind of kept me in the game for a little while I realized it wasn't quite so oscillating I, I was disappointed for most of my competition experiences but uh when I was outside I'd kind of have like it would dip between like a little spike of like a euphoric moment doing a climb and then the base level was just like very happy and very content as opposed to like You bomb in a competition and you're just like, oh, what is this? Like, I've spent loads of money, I've traveled all this way just to like be disappointed and you're like in a bit. So like it was like I was a lot more stable and like I kind of felt like the everyday I enjoyed way more. And like I actually found just the experience of like climbing outside so much more valuable for me. So I kind of knew that I was. Uh, in that like trying to transition phase, but I was still kind of wrestling with it. It was quite hard to fully step away from comps. I kind of had seen myself as a comp climber for a long time um but it was I was quite fortunate like I was presented a positive alternative of this rock climbing, which I was probably quite a lot better at, so I understand it kind of made my decision quite easy in that sense, but it still took me a while um but yeah when for all of those years, I was trying to juggle up like on the discussion of style you said you were rambling i'm really rambling on the discussion (laughs) of style (laughs) on the discussion of style i think throughout all that time being a comp climber you're kind of wrestling trying to like juggle up all the skills and like naturally the way i like to train or the training that i enjoyed most was like you say like isolating on small holds and moving quite statically between them and that was the thing i was good at and i think i was probably good at it in the first place because in the early days of my climbing, I enjoyed it. Um, Well, like I get a lot of satisfaction of that control I had on the wall. Um, So that was like the way I naturally climbed. And I think I was wrestling with that throughout all of competitions being like, this isn't very helpful. So I'll try and like get good at smashing around on slopey volumes and pinches and doing one, two, three triple dinos or whatever. And I think I'd started leaning into it a lot more and since i've gone out started solely climbing outside or focusing much more on climbing outside i've properly leaned into the style which i feel is most helpful for me helpful for me to climb outside mm. and uh let the other things fall away not necessarily like yeah i guess it comes to like the phrase of like working your weaknesses which like i do if I have glaringly weak, I do like work things that I'm not good at, but only if they impede me or like, mm. uh, I'm not gonna, well, I haven't in the past few years gone to the wall and trained doing a load of diners. I don't really even train swabs that much because I don't usually do that many of them outside. Um, I will train my weaknesses when they are limitations to me. But mm. I won't go out of my way to train my weaknesses to be an all-rounded climber because it's not really what I'm looking,
0: looking to get out of it. Yeah. I want to just dive really deeply into this because you and I had a, a conversation that was so interesting to me. We talked about a week ago, just got to know each other a little bit. And uh, you were telling me about your trip this past spring to Switzerland, uh, this March and April. This is when you're out there with what, what I call the mellow crew. You know, it's Sean Rabatou and Daniel Woods, Maddie Hong, Dave Graham, uh, Giuliano Cameroni, Felipe Carmago, and, and more people um, who were featured in this film. Al Fain and Aiden's out there climbing with these guys. And uh, you said a really interesting thing. I mean, you, you and I were talking about your climbing style, but you said that you noticed you were really like paying attention and watching all these other amazing top-level climbers. I mean, this is a, a group of most of the strongest climbers in the world, boulders in particular. And uh, you said everyone really seemed to have their own uh, niche. Like everyone actually had pretty glaring weaknesses, but also amazing strengths. And every single one of those guys climbed differently, but had found a way to adapt their style to these really hard boulders. And they're all climbing at a really similar level. And this is very, very interesting to me because I... Like, this is something I've been reflecting on a lot for the last few years is um, realizing that I'm, I kind of romanticize like the all-rounder climber, like being able to do everything. And I've always like really sought out uh, weaknesses. Like when I whenever I come across a style in climbing that I struggle with, my first reaction is like, ah, fuck, I need to do a lot more of that. You know, I suck at that. So I need to like pivot and do a lot more of it. And... That can be a really good thing, obviously, and that has really helped me grow as a climber. But in the last couple of years, I've been realizing I also have some superpower, like my own relative superpowers, and I kind of don't focus on them as much as I could. I think I could get a lot more out of actually focusing on the things that I'm good at and paying more attention to, okay, how does my body work best to climb the things that I want to climb? And what are my strengths? And how could I get even more out of my... Strengths And um, yeah, you just represent someone who's really done an amazing job of that. But yeah, first things first, in introducing that kind of idea and getting to your own climbing style and how you think of your own climbing style, maybe first, can you tell me a little bit about what you learned climbing with all those other guys and some of the patterns or, or things that you saw? Like I'm, I, I'm putting you on the spot. I don't want you to, you know, I don't want to make you feel like you have to judge these other climbers because obviously they're all amazing. But yeah, what were some of the things that stood out to you from just jumping into this, you know, pool of of some of the best boulders in the world and climbing on these V16s and 17s with them? Yeah, no, um no, it was really cool. Yeah, I've got a few things to say
1: about their styles. I think like it was really interesting to work. Yeah, just generally climb with them. I climbed with them quite a lot on Alphane, but I climbed with them on other stuff as well we went and had a look at other projects we'd found and it was really yeah i was really surprised to see how like there was almost like uh there was like a load of the top yes the best like you say they're like pretty much a group of mostly the best boulders in the world and they're so different and i kind of knew that about climbing like there's no magic formula in terms of like I think it's quite an easy to trap the fall into like to be the best you have to be able to hang so much off like an edge or be able to do one armors with 20 kilos on you or something. And like all of this, like there is like, there's just no like simple way to actually be the best. Um, and like obviously for most people, that's not their intention anyway, but majority of climbers are looking to get better. And, uh, I think it was really interesting to see that these climbers who were like, like the mellow crew, it felt to me like they'd really leaned into what they knew they were good at. And it was really cool to see how, like how stark the changes in how they'd approach climbs would be. So like, I don't know, Dave Cram's been called like a wizard of climbing at times and things. Um, and it's kind of like almost like comical but it was really interesting to see those climbs which like i'd like work on with him and everyone else would like do a move and they'd, they'd like they'd, there would be a sequence and they'd figure out a sequence which i like, would feel reliable and it would be like oh yeah nice like that's figured out we'll like we've done that for all the sections we'll go from the start and there was actually a climb in that um in that film um fight club uh which i think in the film Sean and Daniel doing the Alfane film V14 sorry? Right? yeah yeah that's the one and it's quite a long climb but there's like a obvious breakdown where you do the hard climbing and you get to like a good jug rest and then you do the you do like the slopey rail out right um, and like the last move of the hard climbing like generally most people are doing it a pretty similar way you get like a front free crimp and like bringing up a vague toe hook to like stab into like a slot and everyone kind of like did that and was like every, everyone would do the move like when we were figuring it out and people kind of like didn't question it that much like it was quite obvious how to do the move but anyway like Dave spent like hours just like figuring out this other way of like kind of like dropping down adding like a bunch more moves but like I, I can't even remember I don't I can't recall it if he actually did the whole climb but it was really interesting to see that it was like just doing something wasn't like enough like he had to like ensure there was no better way more efficient way a, mm. a good example is i uh um uh, a better example actually was that uh for the system boulder in fiona um which sean did as well the first ascent of and he did it like a really physical uh physical way like very powerful um and i was trying climbing there with just dave uh much later on and he again like was just spending like sessions and sessions just like really understanding every different possibility. And he ended up doing that boulder, like a completely different way to short, (laughs) but like, he's like so perseverant on understanding the climb. And there's a lot to learn from that. Like, I mean, like, it's like amazing to see, like people will say it, but like in terms of like physically body strong, Dave's like not that impressed. Like as in you put him in, like, if you were to do like some testing and like, look at the data of like, what most H C plus climbers could do in terms of just like well there's not many H C plus climbers, but like most A <laughs> uh, like if you were to look at that, he'd like come out the bottom of the pile. But like mm-hmm. he's so good at like kind of making like figuring out the best way and making it work for him. And I think like he's incredibly patient and like that's almost like his superpower. Like he's so perseverant with things and can like climb things like pretty optimally. And then, like that is so radically different to like Daniel, who is flipping ridiculously strong. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, the, the theme between all of them—they were like—I was really impressed with how perseverant they were. Like, it's something I've sometimes—I've never really dipped into like that p- proper like projecting mindset. Um, but like, they're so able to uh, commit themselves for prolonged spells to like learn and like or recruit themselves on a climb um but i was really amazed by like yeah essentially in terms of styles sean i do it's hard to like generalize over all climbs but if we were to look at our the way that myself and sean were trying it were well sean did it obviously um not mean to spoil that video. I think people are aware of that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, Sean climbs in a very different way to me, so I can go into a bit of the mechanics to it. But basically, Sean seems to be like really strong in like compressing holds, or like seems to be like the front of his body dominant. So like um, in conjunction with that, basically he's really good when his hands are more open. So you spoke a lot about. um I think this is where I was mentioned in one of the previous podcasts you did with Dan Barry and you spoke, we spoke quite a lot about high angle crimping. Um, I'm just trying to think the most, uh, the best way to go about explaining this. Maybe I'll actually explain the mechanics of how I climb and how that differs to Sean. I think it might make a bit more sense. Perfect. Um, Does that that work? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So the high angle crimping, if you haven't listened to that episode, Dan, and you go into a lot of detail into it, but essentially, basically what that is is, your fingers are like more acutely flexed at, um is it this is pip joint right yeah this is the puppy yeah they're more like acutely flexed at the pip joint and usually like the hallmark for it is like your pinky is also flexed at this joint so that's what differs it to like a half crimp which would usually be defined by like a straight pinky so all okay. your fingers
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can I, can I mention something? So Aiden's demonstrating, he's like holding his hands out in front of me. So for people that can't uh, see the video and I want to clarify this because I did get quite a few questions about this. Like people weren't totally understanding what high angle crimping was, but essentially just put your hand in a full crimp position. Just imagine that you're doing a full crimp on a, uh, a full crimp position with your hand on a small edge or something. Um, Imagine that's a tiny little incut edge and your fingers almost have to be pointed downward to get into the back of the hold so that you can pull outward on the hold. So you have better leverage. Yeah, that's a yeah, good way of explaining it.
1: Um, and so essentially that like acute flexion of all your fingers, I don't do that because that's the position that my fingers can produce the most force in. Like if I were to hang on an edge, I wouldn't be able to hang on a crimp like that on a fingerboard and be like comfortable my go-to would always be a half crimp um so like just like the force i can generate in that position downwards it's way worse than i would in a half crimp. but i nearly exclusively climb in that position and that's kind of like one link in the chain which works like builds my the style i climb in mostly essentially what that really allows you to do is utilize any like incut on any holes that you use and it allows you to generate force away from the wall so this like high angle crimping essentially allows you to pull your hand away from the wall and to be able to like utilize that mostly i'm i'm actually pretty weak the front half of my body well i think it's it's relatively weak i'm very really back dominant um, so like my shoulders and back, uh, will end usually end up like, I retract my shoulders. So like, I'm just trying to think of how to describe this on a podcast. If you were to imagine like holding a hold beside you, your arm out at 90 degrees and like retract your hand outwards. So like your scap's are almost touching together. Like mm. that movement uses a lot of your back and your rear delts. Um, and so I, I like use those mostly and that like allows me to like basically generate force away from the wall and like bring my like chest or center of mass quite close to the wall. I do the same with my legs actually. Um I actually use my feet quite a lot, but again in a similar way to like utilize any ink Um I like Dan often would call it leg crimping when he climbs with me. <laughs> but <laughs> it's kind of the same thing you would do with your leg, like my knee, when my knees are flexed, and I'm kind of like almost like you imagine you're like digging away at the wall with your foot. Like, mm. you use that to like pull your hips closer to the wall as well. I do lots of hip stretching as well. So it allows me to get like quite close to the wall. And um, obviously, that makes the holds feel more positive um, if your center of mass is
0: really close to the wall. Do you mind if I chime in again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I think what I'll do, because you're you're doing an amazing job right now of demonstrating to me, who, who can see you on the video, um, how you climb. I can I can tell just from watching what you're doing. So I think I'll make a video clip of what we're sharing right now, maybe like a three to four minute clip. I'll share it on Instagram so people can reference that if you're listening to the podcast. It should be published the same week as this episode comes out. So look out for that if you want to see what Aiden's talking about. But yeah, just... Really simply like he is, Aiden's incredibly good at accessing the in-cut parts of holds so that he can pull out on them and bring his chest in really close to the wall. So imagine being like really, really squared up and just pulling your chest in tight with your arm out to the side on little crimps. And you're saying that you do the same thing with your feet. So you like, you're really looking for in-cut footholds so you can pull with your toe rather than just pushing on the foothold. Yeah, yeah, exactly exactly that so like all of these little things would generally
1: get me pretty close to the wall and i'm like usually quite good at finding like some stability there so i can hold those positions quite isometrically so often like i'll do a climb and i'll often be quite slow when i do the climbs um so like you said on jade i made it look pretty easy i probably was i can't quite remember exactly how hard i was trying but like things are working it's not like a walk in the park like, <laughs> like right like, right like, um things are going on but like just because the difficulty is like holding an isometric position as opposed to like moving it usually doesn't look that bad um uh but so that's basically the mecha- i feel like the mechanics of like what really epitomizes what i'm good at essentially um and so in relation to the discussion we we're having on our and how that compared to like those other top climbers on our I climbed it, ended up climbing it really differently to how Sean was, or I'm trying it differently to how Sean climbed it. And Sean is very different. He actually struggles a lot more in that high angle crimping finger position, but he, I wonder if it's partly genetic as well, because Brooke's really good at it. Um, it's r- amazing in a the drag. They're like incredible, huh. um, Robin actually really good in a drag as well. So I think <laughs> maybe not genetic, but maybe like physiology wise, um, which is something that does distinguish myself. I have like a really like a really long pinky. And a oh, really wow. short look index.
0: at yeah, look at that. Your um, your index and pinky finger are almost the exact same length.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is quite strange, but uh, that means that to be in a half grimp my fingers are like really open, and so like if my pinky is straight my other fingers are actually like pretty open. And that means that it's, you get even less like outward force. Mm-hmm. Um But anyway, Sean is amazing in like a half grimp and especially a drag. Uh And obviously you can't really generate any force away from the hold using like in that position, just because if you think about like dragging a hold and pulling outwards, like you literally just pull your fingers off the, off the wall. Like mm-hmm. drags, Are really good because you're like reliant on friction but you have to like generate the force to produce that friction by moving your body about the hold well and also like generating a lot of force with like the rest of your body to oppose it so generally like he uses his chest a lot and like he seems to be a lot more like front body dominant and um, so if you look at the way he climbs that he like is quite open on most of the holds there's a really interesting example on like down low. There's like you cross to an undercut and both me and Sean readjust on this undercut for the next move, but he readjusts to open his hand up more to stand into the undercut. And I readjust to like fully close my hand into a full <laughs> <laughs> It's great. We're very different. But, um, but yeah, he like, uh, so he basically will be quite open handed on the holds and like, yeah, use the rest of his body to oppose the holds quite well and it's interesting yeah he basically drags a lot of the holds which i like crimp up on um but i think it's quite cool in it alfane is a cool boulder in that uh i was able to find a way like find a way where i can actually utilize the incut of the holds and i do use a slightly i use all the same holds but i use a slightly different like sequence of them and generally leave my feet a bit lower and uh yeah i kind of just my sequence is quite different um but it was really interesting to me to analyze how people do that and i don't know how much they like communicate all of it together they all seem like they i think sean especially was impressive in like how susceptible he felt to like learning about things like he seemed quite analytical about things as well mm. um i haven't had really explicit conversations about about like climbing styles with him, but um, he definitely seemed quite open-minded to like suggestions and was like, it seemed like he was really looking at what was working for people. And um, yes, it seems like he was making some quite interesting observations as well. So I wonder how an- analytical he is about it too. Mm. But uh, I definitely thought it was, it was really interesting for me how like it really emphasized how there's no real formula to be good at something. Mm. Um, mm especially in climbing, like it's so complex. And I think that like relates to most, most climbers in that, like you probably don't have to just like go with the, the hype of what it is to be strong and actually like Mm. stop and consider what you're good at and make sure that if the things that you want to do can be done in a way, in a style, which you're good at, like make sure the training that you're doing kind of contributes something to how you're doing going to be doing something and not just like training is training like it can be so specific um uh so i think yeah the i've definitely thought a lot more about my style of climbing more recently just in recent years i think probably partly because uh it felt like it's very easy to spend a lot of time and energy training in a way which like isn't particularly helpful so it's definitely taken a bit of considering, but has felt very helpful. It's felt much easier to do it climbing outside because you can you don't have to be such a generalist. You can be a bit of a specialist, and I think it's quite interest. I think it's quite interesting. Like Alphen is slightly different to the other like nine A's dotted about. Yeah, it seems like it can be climbed in different ways. I mean, I don't really know. I haven't really seen much of other people like trying return of the sleepwalker but it seems like there's a few 9as which has now been done like kind of like the glass ceiling has been broken it's a bit like less elusive in terms of like i think people are pretty uh there's like confidence that 9as exist these days whereas like it was a bit like mythical uh, (laughs) um but like no 9a has been repeated yet and I i think it's like probably a bit of a testament to like the specialist nature of these climbers like it's so rare to find something that fits so perfectly into someone's style. Mm. But the reason is when they do and spend a lot of time doing it, it's probably really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and like it's quite hard for <laughs> other people can to try and like adapt that sequence to their own style. And I mean, like, I don't I think our an exception to that. Yeah. Um, I know certainly I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point. I went to try Burden of Dreams and that felt like this, the formula that I usually use to tackle hard climbing or the way I usually climb uh, was not very helpful. on that. Uh. So it was kind of almost back to the drawing board. Um, and so I think it's probably partly one of the reasons why these really hard boulders don't get many repeats because it usually takes it takes a specialist to find a piece of rock which... Aligns well with their specialty, mm. and then they spend a load of time on it, and that's kind of almost what constitutes a nine A these days, which makes them pretty hard. <laughs> I say these days. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, well, that's what constitutes a nine A. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, it's uh, definitely been an interesting thought pro process, and it's definitely played into a lot of my training, um, mm. like the detail. Um, has been fun to uh, try and implement into a more like general training plan as well.
0: Okay, let's let's dive more deeply into that. I really want to hear how you think about this. You've already mentioned this. We've kind of talked around it a little bit, but one of the things that stood out to me most from our first conversation, you mentioned that, you know, it's really popular to focus on very simple, quote, tasks in our training. Can you elaborate on that? Can you tell me what you meant by that again? And then I'm really curious to hear, cause you've tried that and it didn't really work that well for you. So I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about that, but then contrasting that with how you think of your training now and some of the staples that you include in your training, I think would be really interesting. And yeah, I'll, I'll just open it up to you, but the simple tasks, what did you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so I think like usually people associate climbing training with trying to be strong. I mean, obviously there's a bit about trying to be good as well, but lots of time people maybe spend a lot of time trying to be strong. Mm-hmm. And often the definition of being strong for climbing, um, which often motivates people's training, is like it's quite reductive, or like the metrics for being strong will be like generally will be simple things like doing a one-armor or hanging on an edge with a bunch of weight. Um, and it's almost like if you're bad at those you're weaker and so you can climb well because you're good but not because you're strong which like i definitely like on top of that they're almost so like party tricks like (laughs) like it's quite fun to be able to like do a bunch of one armors and like it's quite a nice feeling like to be able to generate that kind of force so i definitely got sucked into that at times and was like quite um disheartened by being bad at it like i'm not like terrible at it but like compared to most people I've trained with like I've trained with like uh, one of my really good friends Jim Pope from the UK who's really good at this kind of um, these metrics of strength and it's always been confusing because like outdoors on small holds I'm usually a bit better than he is but um, as soon as we get like inside onto a fingerboard or a bar like I look like a total novice (laughs) Um, and and at, at times I think like Not in that specific example, like not in my relationship with Jim, but like just in general, like I think I'd been uh, frustrated by it and like tried to train it because I was like, I shouldn't be bad at this. Like this is something that I need to be good at, but was finding that I put a load of energy into it and time and like kind of like almost important. I put like a lot of value in it as well. And it was making very little difference to my climbing. Hmm. Um, and it just really didn't apply very well to the style in which i climb like on the discussion of the mechanics uh, i very rarely climb in a half crimp, and there was like actually not that much crossover for me in like that perfect style and obviously it helps on the like there's a lot of stuff it does help on but like for the things that i was trying to do it wasn't particularly useful and i think there's a re- there's like There's other reasons why they're so popular as well. Like I think like it's something that's very relatable in that like that's become very popular in recent years. You see it with like the rise of like standardized boards and things which are like blowing up at the moment. But like until for pretty much most of like climbing's life, like you couldn't really, um, that wasn't a thing. And so the things which you could measure were like an edge size because our well, beast makers have been around for years, but like had, they're everywhere. So like people could, that was like a form of training where people could relate to like, oh, Alex Magos can hold this with 30 kilos. Like that's what it is to be strong. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. a bar is the same anywhere in the world. So if you can do 10 one armors on it, you can do 10 one armors in America or Europe. Like, <laughs> And so it's kind of like a way to like connect these feats of strength and like kind of- right. I think that is quite cool. And I mean, like, that. obviously that concept has captivated people's imaginations because, like, they're like the kilter boards and all of that, moon boards, and they're doing really well. People love them. Um, And it is really cool. Uh, I guess they're more planning-specific, but I think it can kind of lead you down a path of uh, having your, like, intermediate goals being training-related, not actually applying well to... That's what you're actually trying to do. So I think what I what I kind of really changed and would like mostly encourage people to as well is like if you set yourself a goal or want to do something to make sure that all of the training that you do is like kind of aligned well with that or it's like considers to why it would be helpful to what you're trying to do. Mm. If that makes sense.
0: Is that kind of what you meant by simple tasks? Yes, that's exactly what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's funny. I'm like kind of laughing at myself because I'm sure I have perpetuated this issue. If we can call it an issue <laughs> or this propensity towards <laughs> reductionism and training. Cause I'm like, I, all I want in my life is to be able to hang the beastmaker center edge with one arm, you know? Um, cause that's always been really hard for me. And, you know, in general climbing on steeper terrain and loading up my fingers more versus the background I have climbing at Smith Rock, which is very fingery. It's on tiny holds, but a lot of your weights on your feet. Climbing on a steeper board with more weight on my hands has been incredibly helpful. But I think you're totally right. Like over focusing on just being able to one arm hang an edge. I mean, I don't yeah, that's not really going to lead me to to my goals. And I probably climb in a way I actually do use that type of grip quite often. um, And even so the applicability is, you know, not amazing. So yeah, point well taken. I think this is really great. I think it'd be really interesting to hear you talk about two different things. Um, A lot of people after the conversation with Dan, especially wanted to hear how you got so good, how you've gotten so good at the high angle crimp style that you climb in. Um, and you can tackle that however, however you want. I don't know if you train your fingers specifically for that, or if it's just doing all the board climbing that you do kind of in that style. Um, so I think that'd be, let's start with that. And then I think it'd be really interesting to hear, let's go back to the very start of this conversation with those bullet points with Alfain. Like, how are you getting very, very specific with your preparation for this specific boulder you want to do this fall?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. So uh uh, should I do
0: the former first and then like, yeah, which order do you want? Though? Let's do it. Let's do the high angle crimps. Like, yeah. How did you get so good at this? Um, yeah, I kind of,
1: I guess like I've actually always been like my tendency has always been to towards small holds. Um, I think quite early on in my days of climbing, Dan actually started like almost mentoring me. And we kind of realized that I didn't really have regular access to climbing walls so much with the temperamental weather in the lakes. You kind of need somewhere and you can train as well. Um, cause it's, especially for winter, permanently wet. Um, <laughs> so, uh, he, he helped me set up a board, um, uh, in my stable, which is still the board I use today. And I think just the nature of that, that's a 50 degree board. Um, and so quite quickly, the majority of my training was down there. And at the time, I think as I got better or more used to climbing on a board, because before that, I'd kind of just been climbing and climbing walls, um, around the lakes. Uh, I ended up like adapting almost a style of the board to like the outdoor climbing Mm. around the Lake district. And often the holds are a lot smaller and a lot in cut, more in-cut. So I think like generally that led to me functioning on small holds became quite like familiar to me. Um, but I do actually remember even in the earlier days of my climbing, uh, I'd be quite uh, quite focused on wanting to do climbs well. Uh, like if I do a boulder and I was felt it was scrappy, I'd do it again. And I think I never really quite realized this until much later on. That would have been like four years into my climbing, three or four years into my climbing. I set my board up like maybe three years into my climbing or so. Um,
0: How old were you when you started? uh, About 12 or 13.
1: Okay. Um, And yeah, begun quite like a proper hobbyist, would go after school every now and again. Um, And then when I turned 14, I could go unsupervised. And so i just went by myself but just for a little climbing wall um and kind of outgrew it um before long and then went up to the climbing wall that dan's wife owns up in carlisle in rock and i was like a regular there but then that's quite a long way so public transport in the lakes is awful as well and so quite quickly needed to um have somewhere i could access a bit more easily but um yeah, I remember in my mind. I'm not quite sure where it der- like where I derived it from, but to climb something well for me was felt like everything was in control, and so like if there was no uncertainty about doing the moves, and so every move was like felt like it was like there was no moment where I was out of control. That was like for me how I'd do something nicely, and I think the easiest way to have. Uh, no uncertainty about doing a a move is often like by doing it quite statically or like not necessarily statically but like you're able to get the hold the slower you're moving the the more precise you can be on each hold and like uh, I think there was a lot in like what I was holding but I also like really like the feeling of moving on a board and was quite in tune with like just the feeling of being in control so I, I kind of never really realized I was doing it at the time but was always quite switched on to that and so I actually think it sounds sounds quite trivial but like I think the warm-up routine that I developed on my board because it was like there were boulders that were slightly like below my limit I wasn't like at the living end and I kind of would had a tendency to go to that style where like I'd almost like stop in front of every hold almost like not like I wouldn't necessarily hover in front of every hold, but I would feel like I could. So it feels like I could stop at any point in the movement Mm. before grabbing the next hold. And I realized I started doing this on climb. Like, as I got better, I'd start taking climbs, which used to be quite snatchy for me, and, like, almost, like, bullying them into this style to the point where, like, I could get it to the point where I could stop at any point in the movement if I wanted to. Mm. Uh, And that level of control was something that like, I was always quite fascinated by. So I think like what I went looking for was actually like the feeling of it. But I like kind of stumbled into that like style of climbing, which really has like become like the niche of climbing, which I've done uh, that I've like done all right in, uh, in recent years. So I think that was probably like the early days, how I got, into that style i think like the high angle crimping i mentioned a little bit about the physiology of fingers and i think like essentially unless something is quite slopey i would very rarely climb in a half crimp anyway just because my pinky is so long and for my pinky to be straight my other fingers have to be really open and so it almost has to be like a sloper for me to climb in that position so even if something's not very in cut usually i will end up holding it with a slightly flexed pinky as well even if it's not really acutely flexed and so i think because of that i like kind of became quite used to that position um and then it was actually probably i wasn't so old when me and dan stumbled across the um sling training or sling testing that um he had a chat with you about and I actually did. Uh, so that was really interesting when we stumbled across that. We had a lot of chats around about that and uh, it was, I'm just trying to think if that was before, I think it was about around the time when um, I took a bad fall when I was quite young in Fontainebleau and uh, had um, like reconstructed my calcaneus, I like shattered my heel. Um, so I had quite a long recovery process from that um i had like four months or something of not climbing um and was just like climbing footless on my board Um, i'm doing a lot of fingerboarding and a lot of like upper body stuff basically um and it was that was like quite surreal i was very much like i had like i was relatively good on small holds but like a very technical climber um and it was quite funny then going back into climbing having done like a four month block of like power upper body training <laughs> and suddenly trying to remember to climb again, but also being able to like pull on holds, which I couldn't before. Um, it was quite a funny time, but my fingers got quite strong in that fel- spell actually. And that was around the time when like that, we were starting to like experiment with that sling stuff. And I started getting quite good on the small holds. And I think there was a couple of sessions we had when Dan was like, Oh, that, kid he's got he's got me on the little tiny crimson <laughs> it was like a little a transition period where i um started having him on the small holds and uh i think we like analyze a lot of like the weights and like kind of like adding up or like the weights we could hang on our fingers and it's quite is i mean i've still i'm still quite fascinated by it today i haven't understood it all and i think like stumbling across that like kind of I began to understand wha- what it was that I was good at and why like I struggled to hang on an edge, but I was good on small holds and it kind of like was beginning to make a bit more sense and I was kind of piecing this puzzle together a little bit. Um and I did actually do quite a lot of training with those mono slings Um I think it is like it's a funny form of training. I think it like strains your lumbar calls quite a lot. Um so I was always quite careful to I never actually injured my lumbar cores doing it i did actually want to injure my pinky doing it um but uh it wasn't actually it wasn't so bad um but i never actually i never actually damaged my lumbar cores in doing it uh, in like doing that mono sling training but uh, i definitely would feel like quite a strange level of like uh it was good for isolating certain fingers and like understanding weaknesses but i think dan might have mentioned this as well i would I rarely use it as like a training technique, but more like a testing technique to kind of understand where it's at. And I do use it a lot for rehab. So um, Mm. if I've got like a finger that um, is injured and I want quite a measured rehab, you can obviously isolate a single finger. And that's way better than just like hanging on an edge and compensating with your other fingers. Mm. Uh, So it's hard to tell exactly where it came from but I think like I always had a tendency to that style of climbing. And then I think once I realized that that was the movement that I enjoyed, I like kind of would adopt that style when I could. And that like in turn kind of just like, yeah, I think the style I enjoyed ended up being the style I was good at, which I think will be the case for most people, um, Yeah, whether they know how they climb or not. But uh, I think it's definitely helpful to kind of understand the mechanics of what you're good at or the way you like to climb. Um, And I think most of the time, unless someone's always been quite switched on to working their weaknesses, people will probably be good at the way they, in some way, enjoy.
0: Can I summarize all that back to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. see if it it. feels like it fits. Um, Yeah, so what I'm hearing you say is that you just always really enjoyed the sensation of feeling really locked in on moves feeling really controlled and really static on moves. And probably your finger physiology, just the lengths of your different fingers led you to be stronger in that high angle crimp position, being able to pull outward on the on the holds because your pinky's pretty long. So the half crimp, you're not getting that dragged pinky in a half crimp like a lot of people would. And then you've just always climbed that way because you're good at it, because you enjoy that sensation. That's how you climb, that's how you've continued to climb. That's how you train on the board. That's how you warm up on the board. And so you, it makes sense that you've just gotten better and better and better and better at it. And then experimenting with the sling test with Dan, um, you know, for instance, for people that haven't heard that episode, just crimping one finger in isolation and picking up a weight off the ground, using a sling around your fingertip. That's what Dan and I talked about measuring each finger's strength in isolation. It sounds like that just helped you understand why you were good at that versus It's not like you did the test and then realized like, oh, I need to work on this, 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 and this, and then develop this sort of finger strength. It seems like the test helped you understand, oh, I'm very, very good at this because of this static way that I climb. Does that all resonate with you? Does that feel like I'm getting it right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I I think part of the understanding the why, why it was that I was good on those style of holds, kind of in turn did help me progress in that style as well in that like I kind of realized that my passion for climbing didn't lie in hanging on edges and so (laughs) I kind of was like less caught up in the fact that I wasn't a mega wad on a beast maker but um (laughs) but could like kind of spend a bit more time focusing on the things which were helpful so I would like I have done like um I have done like a lot of fingerboard sessions in that position. So when I like do train in that position, like that a like, high angle crimping position, I usually don't put wrap my thumbs over. Um, I usually just keep, uh, keep the thumbs below, below my fingers, but I would train in that position because I knew that that was like way more applicable for me. Um, and like definitely doing a sling test uh, was interesting uh, in that it really, ex- I really understood my indexes were really weak Um uh, I was definitely like the back of my hands did a lot more than the front. And so I did do quite a lot of training, um, to like kind of assist that. And I think especially that is quite helpful because sometimes when you climb, uh, on a hold, which like is too narrow for all four of your fingers and requires free, I used to always preference back free over front free. In a but, crimp? Uh, I, in a crimp, yeah. Wow, yeah, interesting, but, Yeah. But, yeah. I'd always like, uh, that would be like definitely stronger for me. But, uh, but Dan spoke about this a little bit as well, about the benefits of dragging and the mobility. It gives your wrist. It's kind of the same back free and front free. Like you get a lot more mobility crimping front free than you do back free really. Um, and so it is really be able, good to be able to climb in holds like that. So I think that kind of indicated things, which I were limitations for me and, that has been something that has been like that's been like a weakness, which I've observed, which have been like, wow, that is a weakness, which is limiting. And so has been something I've actively worked on and it has helped. So uh, I think like, I'm not saying like, understand what you're good at and only train that. I think it's understand what you want to do and what, what is stopping you doing it. Mm. And then like align your training or your preparation uh, to make sure it fit. Yeah, um, that's cool. But yeah, no, other than that, yeah, that was
0: just a continuation. It was a good summer. Would you be willing to share your sling test numbers with me so I can I can link to them so people can look at them? Do you have those uh, numbers?
1: I'm just trying to think what I... I'm just trying to think, Matt. I think I once did 20, 20.5 kilos on my pinkies.
0: In a crimp. Uh, yeah, and in a in a crimp position. For and reference, it, for people, I tested my pinkies in a crimp position, and I think my max was nine kilos. So, Aiden's got eleven and a half kilos on each pinky that, on, on me, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely it's not
1: consistent for all my fingers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's that was. Um, well,
0: you're also one of the best boulders in the world, and I'm you know I'm hoping to climb V12 someday. So there's a big gap between us. So it makes sense, but. Yeah. But um yeah, I think also if you were to look at our other fingers,
1: there'd be a lot less disparity. Because <laughs> huh. okay. I know I know my indexes were much weaker. I think I maybe did mm. like sixteen kilos on my indexes. Okay. Um I can't quite my middle two I can't quite remember. I don't think I ever really went those completely max. Okay. Um so I'm a bit unsure about my exact data doing that. I also was I know the thing which isn't always common with when I added it all up. So I, I've done it using like picking up weights off the floor, using a swing, or I have like a little like mono, which I kind of made. Um, so it's like measurable, the depth that my finger goes, Mm. goes into the, um, into like the hold you pick up. Um, but I have done it on a force plate before, like doing like the mono crimps, but almost not entirely hanging, but, uh, you, you like pull down on it and it's attached to a force place so you can measure the force. Um, I did this like uh, with, I've started working with, well, for the past three years, I've been working with Ollie Tor. I think, um, uh, I think he might be having a chat with at some point. Right? Yeah. I hope um, so. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I started working with him when I was like transitioning to just being a rock climber. And so it's been quite interesting because they obviously do a lot of testing and lots of their testing data is based around what are the like the quite measurable exercises we discussed earlier, and I think it is quite interesting because usually they like get correlations from that data and try and determine like what people could be climbing uh once they get like an obvious like when they see trends in the data they're like established like for like a algorithm so that mm. if you input your data that you should be able to predict how hard you can climb and i think i'm probably a bit of an outlier in that system in that i'm probably a bit crap on the, the the tests um so i think we we did a few tests and the, like initially it was like kind of confirmed what i knew and it was like oh yeah like you're not like you're not crap but like yeah you've <laughs> you've uh, you've definitely got a lot a lot uh, like a long way to go in this but then we started being a bit more detailed with the data and i know when we tested my individual fingers i should try and maybe if we do a follow-up one i'll get i'll try and get the data off ollie yeah that'd be awesome can say. um of because then we did do like the individual fingers and added them up and i think it was something it was quite dramatic. it was like 160 percent of the force I could produce when all of my fingers were together. Huh. Wow. That's um, fascinating. Which, yeah, it's quite strange. Um, I remember being a bit confused by it. But uh, yeah, I think being able to like in- produce a lot of force in that position, like in isolated fingers, I think is quite helpful for outside where the right. holds are often less um, ergonomic. So like less uniform. Yeah. Lots of the time, hold manufacturers understandably make the holds comfortable whereas mother nature isn't often never so kind and we end up crimping up on that crystal. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs)
0: totally. Totally.
1: Yeah. Um, So uh, yeah, no, I, I should, I'll try and get that data for you. Okay. Um, yeah, you remember my pink, my pinkies were like my little party trick because yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was somewhere that was quite good. Uh, <laughs> but I haven't tested it in a while. So okay,
0: okay, cool. I can't vouch for what they're at now. Um, just purely out of curiosity, because I think of you as someone who has like some of the strongest fingers in the world, but as we've been talking about, it's it's very specific to the style in which you climb. Um, how strong are you on like the Beastmaker 2000 center edge? just For context for people,
1: uh, so actually, I don't really, I'm just trying to think how much I could hang on that. I probably haven't really tried it in the past couple of years. I basically don't really use that edge, I use like the outside ones more so. Essentially, I found with that edge as well, your pinky end up doing so much because it's big enough to like kind of nestle a lot of like the skin, mm. um, on, on the edge. I found one, it was like trash my pinky skin, but I also found that you'd need quite a big hold outside to have the same like impact. So I don't really test, or if I would hang on it, I'd have my pinky like retracted to the edge because um, it felt much more applicable. Um, so I guess like maybe for like a little, uh, a little gauge of where people are, it would be good for me to try it. But um, I would always focus on like the outside edges, which are much smaller and you just be on like your, your, the tip of your, pinky but like on the outside edge like it would take a good day for me to hang it body weight like I can some probably like yeah on a good day I could probably do five seconds body weight on that but I wouldn't really be adding weight.
0: Uh, wow yeah I mean that is that is surprising when comparing you to someone like Magos or something I mean that's a that's a really big difference.
1: Yeah, yeah 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 no I'm uh and I think in the past part of me has been a little bit like embarrassed about that I'd be like oh like these people all think I've got Strong fingers. I, I can't show them that I'm terrible at this, but yeah, my uh, my uh, passion doesn't lie on a fingerboard. Before, uh, my, goal, my goals on those yeah. wooden edges.
0: But um, credit yeah, to no, you, Matt. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, no, th- uh,
0: this is so interesting because I think I think um, between this conversation and my conversation with Dan, I'm really starting to understand just how maybe misplaced my own. Uh, understanding of my own finger strength has been in the last like year or so because I really really struggle on like a one-arm dead hang sort of thing even on a pretty big edge but I've been noticing I've been paying more attention to like my grip position on an edge like that like let's take the Beastmaker center edge whatever that is like 22 23 millimeter and my pinky it's not as long as yours but it almost ends up like kind of in in this weird in between no man's land where it's not quite short enough to just drag on the edge but it's not long enough to crimp up on the edge so it kind of it just kind of feels like it can't do a whole lot you know it's it's a bit uncomfortable yeah, yeah it's a bit uncomfortable and it's i'm kind of like skin catching on that um you know that dip that crease like right below your dip joint um but yeah i just yeah, feel like yeah. i'm not getting much out of it but outside you know i i boulder harder than you would think that i would based on those numbers that i get on like a 20 mil edge or something But this is probably why I think it's because I'm good at like, you know, engaging individual fingers a little bit better on like a weird shaped holder things. And it's pretty rare that I run into that issue because, you know, you don't get a perfectly flat, rounded, comfy 23 millimeter edge outside very often. So yeah, super interesting. Yeah. Usually your skin on your fingers will nestle up
1: if you're on a jug when you're outside. Like it's quite rare that you get an edge where that is applicable but like you were, you mentioned earlier on you grew up climbing on um you said on like slightly more like vert or slabby stuff where you were on small holds but weight was in your a lot of weight was in your feet i imagine because of that angle the holds generally for the moves to be hard the holds were probably really quite small mm-hmm. and usually like if a hold is really small you'll like utilize like this you'll probably end up crimping up on them or like yeah, it's where yeah. like you
0: probably don't find yourself dragging on micro edges or it's totally. really hard to yeah like I'm probably pretty good at like two finger front two crimps you know relative to to a lot of people for, that climb at a similar level to me because I've done a lot of that sort of stuff yeah so yeah.
1: you might I do not um, I don't know if you uh, will know entirely but like it's quite hard as well because not many people do this sling testing or like uh it's a lot less like measurable when you kind of introduce the angles of people's fingers if you just see how much weight you can hold on this edge people will hold that edge in any which way they can Mm. but like to standardize the angle in which you can like hold on to something it's a lot harder to like control so there's not really so much data on like what is good but i would anticipate if you spent a lot of time in that style and struggle to hang on like half crimping on that edge. That um chances are like if you can climb harder than you'd expect someone with that data to be able to, you'll probably like like be better at like that high angle crimping, or like it'll be quite interesting to see the way in which you hold the holds when mm. you do climb near your limit. But it might be something that you're quite good at. I think like, yeah, it is like the just like fingerboarding. Like, or just like having a fingerboard session, there's a lot of complexity to it. It can't just be like, oh, I've done loads of fingerboarding, so my fingers are getting stronger. Uh, yeah, obviously it has to apply to how you actually then climb. Mm. So yeah, you might also find that like, you'd have a tendency to that hang or crimping kind of thing due to like your roots in climbing, but feel like you have inverted commas, weak fingers because you can't hang on the edge, which is so accepted. Uh, right. But uh yeah, I'm hammering the point home
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean going at it. <laughs> um but, uh, I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time here because I had a whole two hour podcast with Dan Varian about the sling test and this really geeky finger stuff. So I want to get back to uh to your rock climbing. Actually, I feel like I should close the loop on this. I do have one more question. When you found out that your index fingers were weak relative to your other fingers, What did you do to address that? Or what are you doing to address that?
1: I definitely initially, when I've discovered it, I was using like the mono crimping as like a training tool, not just a testing tool. So I did actually hammer that quite a lot, um, which did make a difference. It was quite good. And I'd still, I'm still a bit, essentially, I think the risk of doing it is like, it can be quite you can be quite susceptible to injury doing it. I think if you're really measured, it, it can be helpful. Uh, so I did do that quite a lot, which I did notice a big difference. But uh, I started like essentially the way in which I'd then apply that strength was in a front free crimp, climbing without your pinky, basically, uh, when the hold's too small to allow it. And so that was kind of like what I want to get better at. So I definitely initially got my fingers. I'd had quite a prolonged spell of like training my index with a mono sling. And that like did get them quite a lot stronger. But I feel like the familiarity of like I did a lot of training in like front free half crimp position. And I usually do that two arms added weight. Um and usually my go-to has always been to use an edge as small as I can before skin becomes a limiting factor. Mm. Um so generally well generally actually i'd use that the outside
0: edge on the beast 2000 um i think that's like 13 mil maybe for people listening something like that kind of pretty rounded yeah though. yeah 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 it's kind of
1: like it's enough so it's like it's rounded enough so it's very comfortable i don't lose any skin but like i'm very much on like the pad of my fingers so i'm not like using any extra assistance and so I'd kind of like train in that position because it also felt very unnatural for me to drop my pinky or like, I felt like quite exposed, like exposing your ring finger was like, it felt quite risky for me or like it felt very unnatural for me. And so I was quite slow, like progressing into that. Um, and then I also like focused quite a lot on like in that, like front free half grip position, uh, not like kind of, uh, rotating my like thumbs towards me, um, which would like load my ring finger more uh, and like ah. take load off my index. I focused on like internally rotating my hands. Um, so like I'd like uh, make sure that I was like keeping weight on my index. So like I wasn't just using what was good to like kind of take what weight off what was weak. Um, so I've kind of like played around with that. Um, and I've definitely noticed a difference climbing outside as well. Like I, at one point i'd like i'd try everything i could to try and like nestling fingers and like kind of squeeze your fingers together which can sometimes work quite well on hold but um being able to have like the front free be quite strong in a front free crimp is like just a tool which is good to be able to access mm. um yeah um, so yeah i was like initially to summarize initially definitely did some of that mono mono sling training but then once i'd done that i kind of figured out why i was doing that it was to be better in that like front free half print position and i guess generally just like when i'm on small holds like if my index can take more weight it'll, i'm obviously going to be able to use smaller holds or put more force for it but yeah really like it was mainly i kind of realized there was a glaring weakness that so i was bad in that position so then i trained that position and made sure i was like kind of engaging the index in that position mm-hmm.
0: I love it. I mean, it it reminds me so much of talking to Dan. Um, it's, it's so clear to me, like how much thought you put into, you know, it's not just like the fingerboard protocol. It's like the sensation of how you're loading your fingers on an edge on the hangboard. Cause I'm like you were saying, if you were to train your front three in a crimp with your index finger being the weaker finger, you could kind of torque your hands outward and load the ring fingers more and compensate and probably hang a little bit more weight. But what you're choosing to do is be more patient, probably be more conservative with the load and just really focus on driving inward on those index fingers. Um, and it's, it's just, yeah, it's go ahead. Go ahead. No, I definitely think quality is really, um, like really
1: important when training my fingers or like, as in like, like attention to detail and Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it comes back to this point about like understanding why I'm doing it as well. Like I'm trying, I want to do it so that I'm better when I'm climbing on the rocks. Um, or like my goals lie in rock climbing. And so like my training feels like it ought to be adapted for that. And so generally, like if I really know what I need to do to be able to like, what I need to work on to be better at that, like, the training is like it's a means to an end and so i'll do it in like the quality way which will translate best so i'd much rather have a little bit weight le- less weight attached to my waist but be holding the edge in like a position which is applicable than to be able to hold
0: it suboptimally but throw a little more weight on um it's just less useful mm that's awesome yeah and for people listening if you're going to go do any sort of mono crimp training please be careful please just be patient and start really really light and ease your way in because it does put a weird strain on the lumber coals and just it just feels sketchy if you've never done it before and it probably is sketchy if you've never done it before so I think the takeaway yeah, there is slow, just start slow, slow. Yeah, slow just start really light and take tons and tons of time if you're going to try to build up any sort of load. Yes, sadly for listeners,
1: there is no rapid magic formula for finger (laughs) strength. And so if you do try something new, you want want to go slow. The biggest thing that will impede your progress is if you get injured. So you're Mm. better off taking it a bit slower. Um, But yeah, no matter what you do, you're not going to solve the issue of
0: weak fingers overnight. All right. So let's take this philosophy that you have of quality and applicability. And I want to hear how you're thinking about that with approaching your training for Alphane. Can you give me some examples? Like what are some things that you're focusing on for this training block, you know, that are that are very I guess let's just go back to the start of the conversation with those bullet points. Like what are the a few of the things that you noticed when you were trying the boulder this spring? Um, what are some of the bullet points that you've made notes of and how are you addressing those in your current training?
1: Yeah, so um, lots of the like attention to detail I have when I approach a climb, I kind of adopted that strategy or that approach to it um, a lot from in my younger years climbing with Dan. Um, so he has quite a similar analytical approach to um, projecting a climb. And what that usually consists of is... When we're figuring out a move, we'll be quite switched on to what feels as though it's gone wrong. And we'll be like quite experimental about like other options, like whether, well, okay, for simplicity's sake, say we've tried all options and we've like figured out that this is like probably the best holds to use or something. Um, just so obviously we'll try all the other options of like hold sequences. This is approaching a new climb. Um, but when it's just a case of doing a move, were something to go wrong, we'll be like quite thoughtful as to like what has gone wrong and we'll be quite experimental in like trying uh, new options, but be quite like calculated in when we try something new, be aware what we're trying. And so when you stumble across, generally you'll try a few things and you'll have an inkling of like, it will be like a educated it won't just be a shot in the dark as to now i'll try rotating my ankle this way or whatever like it will be like usually this is a kind of formula which works and like maybe this will apply well to this <laughs> so when we do a move when we like do something which works well it would be like that would be like a little detail of that move to remember and usually you end up with a collection of these for each move of like things which work and things which are you often like once you've committed to a sequence on a move or like a particular set of moves you'll understand what generally is the limiting factor of that move so perhaps where you have to like apply your focus and um usually when when we talk when i was talking about bullet points i usually have a collection of these things about each move and i try to make it as simple as possible so like it might come down to I'll have like learned maybe like a handful of details about a move but I don't want to remember 10 details about a 15 move problem uh, and 10 details about every move because I'll just be like it'll be a crazy memory game and I want to be able to like I don't want to have to think about all of the things to remember for the next move so often I will try and like condense them down to like the most limiting factor so it might just be like Well, I know that if I think to myself to keep pressuring that foot, likely these other things are going to work as well. Um, and I kind of know what feels right in that position and usually it's the foot that blows. So like, that's my little like bullet point for this move. And I usually end up with a list of these things. Um, is this a physical list? Do you write this stuff down? Uh, no, usually I, it's kind of just tucked away, um, (laughs) in the, in the noggin, um, (laughs) But uh, I have done it before where I've written things down. Um, I guess it's helpful if um, you go away from Boulder and come back. Uh, I definitely, I wrote, I, I had, have written some things down for Alfane because I like kind of learned it pretty well and then left it. Um, but most of them actually, I haven't found myself having to refer to a list. I've kind of remembered them quite well mm. um, anyway. But uh, essentially all of this like kind of, these quite precise points which I'd made in my head were definitely quite helpful when I was setting my replica because I knew what were the things that would go wrong and like what I usually did in the positions, which can be quite subtle, uh, but felt necessary for me to do the moves. And so if I can replicate those, then that I know the moves are probably somewhat quite helpful to practice. Um, so that was kind of like, that kind of like approach to, detail it's always felt quite useful it feels like it really reduces any random error um and especially like often when you're projecting or like giving really uh, attempts like on something really hard for you outside usually you don't have that many goes in the example of alfane it's quite long and i mean when i first tried it it was like the end of sean's process on it and he was having like two maybe three goes a day So you get very few goes. So, like reducing random error is really helpful because I don't know, you don't want to like foot to pop on the last hard move. Um, (laughs) uh, And then often, like that's quite a rare example where skin usually isn't an issue, and usually you can't just like burn through a load of attempts because you usually got limiting factors down to like yeah, skin or other things out of your control. So generally, attempts really matter um when you're right at your limit and so to control everything that you can feels quite helpful for me and it extends to like the intricacies of the move as well like it's kind of like a bit of a ritual for me but I don't know how much of it is actually like I don't necessarily think all of it is entirely like physically helpful but like I'm usually quite like before I'd have an attempt I'd be quite careful of like cleaning a hold but like not too much like like especially like on granite as well If like a hole has no chalk in it it can be like a little bit slippier and like i'll go through the process of cleaning the holes cleaning my shoes kind of like making sure the landing's all good and like it will like kind of all these things to set on my mind to like so that when i pull on i can be like content that everything i could have controlled i have mm. uh, um i find that gives me some peace of mind and i think it's also like a little way in which like, I can uh, access some like, for, it's almost like a mechanism for me to kind of access like the state I feel like I usually
0: need to be in to try my hardest. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Frictitious Climbing. Today, I wanna to tell you about my two favorite products from Frictitious. First up is the EZ board, spelled E-Z board. It's hands down the most versatile hangboard I have ever seen. It's portable, meaning you can take this thing to the crag and hang it from a tree or from a bolt at the sport cliff. But What makes the Easyboard unique is that it comes with a mounting plate that allows it to be used as a traditional hangboard. In just a few seconds, you can mount it above your doorway at home in any of four different orientations and use it just like a regular hangboard. It's light, it's compact, and it covers all your bases. It's awesome, check it out. Second is the Hangboard Doorway Mount. The Hangboard Doorway Mount is perfect for climbers who don't have a great spot for a hangboard at home or who can't drill into their wall. It's a great way to train in your home or apartment and you can even have Frictitious install one of their hangboards for you, so when it arrives, you can be up and training in minutes. This thing's awesome. It's super easy to set up, it's bomber and it's rock solid even if you have weight added to you when you're hangboarding. So check it out. Head over to frictitiousclimbing.com and use code NUGGET at checkout for free shipping on your order. That's fictitiousclimbing.com and use code NUGGET at checkout for free shipping. Train, solve, climb with fictitious Climbing. This episode is also brought to you by Petzl. Today, I want to talk about harnesses. When it comes to harnesses, comfort can mean a lot of different things. Sometimes you wanna harness for hard red points or light and fast adventures. And on other days, you might need something for long belays and multiple repels. There's no such thing as a perfect harness. The perfect harness is the one that's perfect for you. And you probably do a lot of different stuff. That's why Petzl builds harnesses for gym climbing, cragging, and alpine adventures using four unique constructions. Frame construction has the traditional fit, comfort levels, and safety features climbers are used to. Endo-frame construction provides flexibility and cushion. Fuse-frame construction is streamlined, yet supportive. And wire-frame construction harnesses are breathable and ultra-lightweight. So, whether you want lightweight performance or plush comfort... Petzl harnesses have you covered. To learn more about Petzl harnesses, visit your local retailer or Petzl's website at Petzl.com. Again, you can learn more and shop for Petzl harnesses at your local climbing shop or online at Petzl.com. Experience the difference with Petzl. And now back to the show. In setting up your replica, can you give me more examples of how you implemented some of these bullet points? Like maybe you can describe some of the s- hardest specific moves and what you were thinking about when you set those on your board.
1: Yeah. So I guess like, um, it's not easy for many times because the holds, um, like I'm quite fortunate. I've got a home board and most of my holds are wooden, uh, and I quite like wood carving. Um, so i do quite a lot of that and so i can adapt the holds
0: um, i do that for quite a few of my holds um huh, you like shape them to be more similar to the actual holds on the rock
1: yeah 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 That's so cool. i would like we'll carve some of them like if there's like some obvious like there's like one hold on Alfane, which kind of like you're back free on one edge and you're back free on like an edge slightly above where your index is and so it kind of like spits your hand a little bit and so i could like hand carve that into a hold which I mean, no hole manufacturer would ever want to make that because it's objectively slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, uh, so that's quite helpful. And that's usually where I start, like kind of making holes which feel similar. Um, obviously, the angle is slightly different. And so you have to like kind of take that into account. The holes obviously have to be worse. Um but I'm more trying to generate the positions. So usually when I'm setting a replica, I'd measure the positions between the holds. I didn't actually do that with Valfame. I didn't really intend on setting a replica originally, but I got quite into it, Uh, like just the concept of it. It's really
0: fun. How would you do that? Like what tools are you using to do that?
1: Uh, So, I use a measuring tape because I don't entirely trust it, but you can do that on phones these days. You can like kind of uh use like a measuring app and like measure between the holds or the way I actually scan the holds of Burden of Dreams, um, I used an app called Polycam, uh, which you can like lidar the whole boulder and that's got a measuring tool. Mm. But I didn't I was a bit skeptical of it. Uh so I measured it um independently of that. But it actually was about right. So um, I eat my hat technology's <laughs> not so bad these days <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, um yeah no uh so i would like usually that's how i'd approach a um like the distances between the holds are obviously like kind of the place to start I'd make sure the holds feel similar um but like the feeling of the moves that's all pretty guessworky essentially the thing i really focus on is like trying moves a lot hard moves you often fall off them and like i kind of like really began to understand what the things that go wrong what were the things that would go wrong or what would like what would be generally the theme of things which would like inhibit me doing that move and so i try and recreate that in the moves that i set so generally it's like a lot of like setting it tweaking it setting it tweaking it mm. like um and i actually it didn't take too many tweaks to do this one. Um, maybe I'm getting a bit better at setting replicas these days, but um, uh, it's a lot of experimentation. And I actually think there's value in. So I've got like I've got the main replica which I climb on, which like has the specific carved holds and feels like the most applicable, or like the things that like it feels the most applicable to the climb. But then I have like three options for every hand, basically and like the same three options for every feet. So I will do like the main, like mostly work on the main one, but then like I'll try all the different little variations as well, which don't feel quite the same, but I basically like I don't want to, I don't want to get really specifically recruited at my replica, which is very similar, but not exactly the same. Mm. I think it's quite good to like be quite well trained in like all the slight variations of it as well. Mm. Um, so I kind of like definitely experiment a bit, but it was a lot of like tweaking. And so an example of like the move, actually an example of the move, it will be hard to describe where it is in the sequence. There's basically one section on our where most people who were trying it were kind of, you get like a big open, like rounded slot with your left hand. And most people here were like kind of cutting and put, like moving their feet to the left. And then like matching into a crimp next to the left hand and then moving the feet back to the right and then going up again. And at this point here, I actually don't move my feet to the left at all. I keep my feet on the right and like extend straight up. So I don't use the intermediate. I extend straight up to like, um, this, which is this weird split crimp with the lower index in the back three I was talking about. And basically what that does is. Uh, it reduces a bunch of foot moves. It would, it's a bit quicker, but it suits me way better in that, like, I basically hold the open-handed slot with four fingers slightly flexed, and I like keep weight in a foot far away, which like, and I go, I go pretty statically. It's like a, a lock for me, uh, and it's like a, a thing that suit, like, definitely suits me quite well. But like, there are like certain details of that, like, I know that I place my right foot. I draw my left foot into an undercut and then I always readjust my right foot and slightly turn my like right knee inwards. Mm. And basically I just played around with this replica and the foothold that I was using until like that felt like the only way that I could do the move. Mm. Uh, and then I knew that that was kind of like good enough to be like training the, the okay. right stuff. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like how I've prepared for our fame, in general it's actually like the thing that's most like most general like strength muscle group that i've trained to be specific for is actually mostly in the legs um i use my adductors loads on it um which i mean legs are really underrated climbing actually i use my legs loads when i'm climbing um but the the way i definitely climb it is a lot of compression with my legs um and so I have been doing quite a bit of specific training for that, which has felt quite helpful. We'll see how it goes.
0: Is that um, on the wall? But, Is that making up movements that kind of simulate that leg squeezing on the wall or with supplemental exercises as well?
1: Um, supplemental exercise as well. Um, I kind of so Ollie kind of does my um Oli Tour sets my training plan. Um and uh we usually like are quite experimental with the sessions we will have and we will like trial periods and, and I'll like kind of feedback what works well. And, uh, one of the things which did feel quite useful was, um, I don't know if you know of a cope do you know what a Copenhagen, Copenhagen plank is? No, Copenhagen plank. I've never heard of that. It's essentially like a side plank. So say if your right elbow was on the floor and you're doing a side plank, but your feet were on a chair, if you're right, elbow is down your left toe would be on the chair but your right toe would be hanging underneath mm. so you're essentially like you're essentially like the difficulty is holding your legs together oh, and, okay. okay uh i will essentially do so that's on a chair i'll actually do that on a climbing wall with my foot on a foothold so that my ankle becomes like an extra like it's like an extra point to fail um and so like your calves are really like engaged and like i will vary like my knee length is quite funky exercise but um i find that would like really like hammer my hammer my adductors um and felt like it gives me a lot more stability when i'm like compressing with my legs anyway
0: wow Uh, that's so cool man i've never even thought to do anything like that but it makes perfect sense that's awesome yeah
1: it's a lot of uh, i quite like this kind of like step like i think this is something that i would never have quite gotten in competitions obviously like You do, I mean, I'm friends with um, a few competitors and it's crazy the amount of volume they do, but like this level of specificity, I kind of quite, I enjoy it. It's quite, it's quite fun Mm. um, uh, to be like. So, well, yeah, it requires a lot of trial and error, but um, yeah, it's fun to go so detailed with it. Um, I also do another exercise. I do do on-wall quite a lot, which I do find helpful um is i have like just on my board i have like a set of just like really good kind of open holds and i'll actually just keep my hands on those and do like sequences with my feet um so that's kind of like a bit more like i'll get very extended and and like kind of get like the footholds will be like kinked at angles that's actually one thing which i think has constituted a lot of like my style or like kind of left me contributed to why I like that style is my board has always been like feet follow. So I'd have like set footholds at the bottom, but I always stand on my handholds, which lots of people don't like. I mean, if you go to like Ned's board or something, you won't see any rubber on the holds. Uh, It's Mm. like Immaculate is Um, (laughs) board, And it's not nice to have like rubber on your handholds, but uh, I, I can sleep at night. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh and uh i find it really useful like and it's very it's like because you then engage body tension in quite weird positions it's not mm. always just like a convenient foot wherever you want it so um i've definitely found that really helpful mm. um but it makes my yeah my board is a bit less pretty <laughs> 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 um but uh yeah no i definitely find for this climb it's it's not really that it's lower body or upper body It's like everything is engaged the whole time so like i actually incorporate breaths into my like um into my sequence um just because it's quite hard to breathe (laughs) yeah because you're like your body's tense the whole time and like the transitions between the moves like you can't relax at all so um i've done a lot of like just connections between my body to like my hands and my feet. Like I've done a lot of work to like try and maintain some control there, which has always been something I've been okay at. Um, but I think is really helpful for this climb, especially.
0: That last comment so interesting because I was watching that video this morning and watching Sean climb the thing. And I just had the thought, like, how is he getting enough oxygen? Because you can just barely hear him taking these tiny little sips of air. You know, he's like... Just these yeah. tiny little sips, you know, every third move or something, and I'm just like, "Damn, <laughs> how is <Yeah>. he? How is <laughs> yeah, so he not just like beat red in the face, you know?" But um, an impressive feat of yeah, lung capacities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, well, uh, and and that kind of gets to another question that I had for you, and actually, this is very poignant for for me right now. Um, I have one client that I coach, um, and I'm trying to help him work on this boulder problem that he has this fall, and you know, shout out to Neil. Um, I think he's got a really good shot at doing it. And he mostly trains on the tension board and that's worked really well for him to just improve his his overall strength and his movement. And But this is a, a much longer boulder problem than you would typically have on a board like that. So we had a conversation the other day about whether it was better to try to do linked up boulder problems to try to be on the wall for a similar length of time, or rather to just do kind of these bouldering doubles where the intensity is a little bit more appropriate or a little higher and he's just doing two mm-hmm. boulders back to back. And when you said you set a replica for Alphane on your board, I mean, you have a, a decent size home board, but it's Alphane. I mean, how many moves is Alphane? It looks massive.
1: Yeah, Alphane's a funny one. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um so I actually only replicated the crux, which is like basically from when you pull on to when you put in a left heel toe jam, which is like eight moves in or something. Okay. Um, it feels really long because you're under tension the whole time and it's quite slow. Um, but the actual hard climbing isn't a crazy long boulder. I think it is like eight moves and a foot move. So like, it's not so bad to replicate It's hard. I don't have like at the bottom of our fame, you put in like a heel toe off a sloper to establish into an undercut and you can't. It's really hard to set that on a board, so I don't actually have that on my replica at all. Um, I just like I'm pulling on from like kind of establishing into the undercut, so I'm hoping that I can like relearn that when I actually get there. Um, and likewise with the top section, the top section is about 70 plus, um, but felt relatively reliable. I think probably a bit harder and you're pumped, but I did actually, I did it from. Relatively early on actually in trying it, I did it from two moves in. Um uh and like topped out uh,
0: You did so, the like, whole you did of, the like, boulder from two moves in.
1: Yeah, yeah. The from like the kind of the first movie like kind of roll well, it's quite an easy move into a crimp and then it's quite like a it's actually not it's like kind of a bit of like a weird like squirmy move into the undercut and then you walk the feet and then you do like the hard like
0: so I I did it from like the undercut and the crimp. Um Uh, to the top yeah Uh, wow how i mean how hard was that is that like v16 or something just making that link uh yeah i think that'll probably be yeah it'll probably be around there wow Um, (laughs) nice no
1: i think yeah i think like it was funny i thought when i did that i was like oh like the first two moves aren't really they're not that bad um i was like oh like it'll be fine like it felt like I, i i was almost there but it's I think definitely the time is quite slow those first couple of moves and you do a lot of foot moves. So I think it um I think it builds the time catches up with you quite quickly. Gotcha. And it did feel like it added a lot. Um going from the start, um as opposed to there. But yeah, no, I think essentially I just have replicated like the crook section and so hoping that the first couple of moves and like the the top out I can relearn when I'm there and like kind of hopefully are reliable enough that they shouldn't be a limiting factor. I mean, if I can get the middle section relatively reliable, I'm in a good place. Um, okay. mean, it's not perfect, but um, it's nice to do some of the, some of the figuring out process under the climb as well and not in my dusty stable. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, with your, with your client, um, uh, were you toying up whether to do like, longer boulders, which incorporate
0: down climbing or boulder doubles. Was that your conundrum? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we kind of landed on doing more boulder doubles and just giving him a really good way to progress the difficulty of those by, you know, maybe first improve or increasing the intensity of the two boulders, but then reducing the rest time between. But I just think it's really interesting. Like I, you know, it kind of goes back to some of the reading I've done and other climbing coaches have talked about in running where, you know, a lot of sprinters have shifted a lot of their training towards doing shorter blocks of really high intensity sprints. You know, um, like Charlie Francis training his 100 meter athletes doing sets of 40 meter sprints to just work on their top, top power. And they're hardly doing any 100 meter sprints until they show up for the race. So I've kind of been thinking about that in, in this context. Like, does it actually, like how important is it to have some practice being on the wall for the same length of time that you're gonna be on the wall for this end versus maybe it's just, maybe it works even better or at least as well to do what you're doing, which is just focus more kind of in the strength zone on the shorter section of the boulder that's really hard and just not really worry about linking all 20 moves together or however many there are. Um, But yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Do you try to do any training that's the same length of time, total time under tension, that you're going to need to send this thing or is it just really making the pieces of it a little bit easier so you have a bigger margin and then trusting that you're going to be able to link it all together when you send
1: yeah i think the latter point you make is probably how i've generally approached things in the past like i've usually focused a lot more on the strength side of things to the point where like it feels easier and so i i have a bit more room to work with for like I mean, I wouldn't say myself I'm a very credible source for how to perform well on long boulders. Generally, the boulders that I have done have been quite short in the past. Um, And so I'm relatively new to the long boulder game. Uh, But I definitely think I have, I do actually do some boulder triples. Um, So I do like, because my boulder is quite short, um, I do try and do some like, I have more recently, done a few sessions where i do like the boulder triples just to like power out um and i haven't done it very much uh and i haven't done it very much in the past so it will be interesting to see if it does make a difference um but generally not only just in the specifics of working on one thing but generally that like kind of like power focus has like applied to how i've approached climbing in a hole like usually i would like focus on my training and to the point where like some, the things that I would try, I would do relatively quickly. Um, so I'm quite new to the project in game in general, to be honest, like it's only really in like the past year that I've spent like more than like three or four sessions in a year on something. Um, like I've had climbs, which I've like tried left, gone back to over like a series of years, but, uh, it's only recently in like the last year or so that I've like just tried something like solely. So like I like try it, rest, try it, rest, like that kind of thing. Um, so I'm quite new to the game. So I'm not the most credible source, but I definitely think Eva probably work. There's definitely best, better people to ask about the, <laughs> the intricacies of like the sports science behind it. Mm. I mean, it's all obviously going to be very useful to be able to operate for more moves in a row. If like your, if your project's quite long, but I also think like you can get quite a lot better at these things relatively quickly when you're new to them. So like if you're like me and you haven't really done much, like a fact, like power endurance training a few sessions, like once a week or something will probably make quite a big difference in the mm. first instance. Yeah. But if you've done absolutely loads, like you'll probably get diminishing returns from it. And so it's probably not, Quite as important. But um,
0: yeah, I'll be able to report back post Switzerland trip to see if that's made any difference. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Excited to hear about that. All right, man. I feel like I need to check in with you again. I've been, uh, I really appreciate your time, but I want to respect your time as well. We've been going for about two hours now and I have lots of things left on my list. How are you feeling? No, I'm doing okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I can, I can keep going. Okay, and and <laughs> yeah, again, like looks. we've got tons of listener questions, a bunch more things we can talk about in a round two if you're up for that as well. But yeah, how about this? Let me, um, let me share a few thoughts. There's a few big topics that I'd really love to spend some time on, and then we can just decide. Let me know um, which of these feel most interesting to you to talk about. We can go through all of them if if you feel up for it, or we can just focus in on one or two of them. But yeah, things I still wanted to talk to you about in this conversation. Burden of dreams. That's something we haven't really talked about much at all. I loved our conversation last week about it. I thought that was super interesting. So that's something we could spend some time on. Goals and goal setting and hearing about your dad, I think would be really interesting how you think about that. And then I I also want to make sure that we have time for some of your thoughts around environmentalism. I know that's really important to you and you think a lot about travel considerations. I think that's really interesting as a pro climber, someone who wants to travel the world and and test yourself on some of the hardest things out there. I'd love to hear how you balance that with, um, you know, having a low carbon footprint and being a good steward because you very clearly put a lot of thought into that and have some really interesting thoughts there. So yeah. What do you think? Um, do you want to, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to give them them a go. It feels
1: it feels like attainable. We can okay it feels, if you're if you're happy, John. Um,
0: yeah, I'd love it. I I can do this on. all. I can do this all day. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm having yeah. No, fun. we'll try.
1: We'll try. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll try cover cover all of those. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you want to stick on like the climbing specific? Uh, and go Burden of Dreams or more like general approach and go goal setting first.
0: Let's go Burden of Dreams next because I got a lot of questions for you about that. And a a lot of people I think have seen your Wedge video that came out recently, you training on your board and you climbing on the replica. And you just talked about using that app on your phone to scan the holds and you actually had someone make uh, replica holds for you to train on. So I I think that'd be really interesting to hear about. And I, I was curious about it in the context of this again, like what we talked about at the start of the conversation, how you think about being a specialist. You and I had a conversation about mastery as a concept. I thought that was super interesting. And you kind of made this distinction between doing things that are difficult for you, which could be, it could be any number of things. It could be a, a slopey font climb. That's not, you know, V16 because you don't train in that style as often versus mastery, where you sound like you're a lot more interested in just trying to become a master at this thing that you're very good at and that you enjoy in climbing, which is the style that you've been talking about. Yeah. So anyway, that conversation and then how you think about specializing and doubling down on your strengths versus working on your weaknesses. I thought the story you told me about what you learned when you went and tried Burden of Dreams was was super interesting because it kind of connects those pieces. So um, Yeah. Do you want to just start by telling me how this first became a goal for you or, or, you know, your first trip to go check it out and and what came out of that?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Burden of dreams. I, um, I think I was initially quite motivated to try it because I'd had like a spell of climbing just around the UK and I'd done a lot of Uh, I'd done a lot of like the projects, which I had around my, my home and I'd gone and traveled to some stuff around the UK, which I'd done relatively quickly. And I mean, there's some, I know there's really hard climbing in the UK, which I haven't done and stuff to be found, which will really push me. But, um, it'd been, it'd been a couple of years since I'd traveled um, abroad and climbed and I'd almost felt like I'd lost my bearing. Most of the hard climbing I was doing around that time was stuff that I was developing. Um, And so I was a bit uncertain, like about where I was in relation to like the sport in general. And burden of dreams was like, I was also looking. Okay. Yeah. Two points. Burden of dreams in many ways is like, kind of like was new ground for bouldering. Um, And it kind of like, captured quite a lot of mystique about like a new level in climbing and i think it kind of did it in such like a pure style uh, of like there was no tricks like it's just like there's no avoiding like these this like a single set of like slick small edges on a 45 degree granite face and so that was like an a proper allure to me um what's the other point i was making
0: Uh, I don't, I don't mean to derail you, but do you mind if I jump in and add more context for people listening? Because I I do this, yeah, yeah, I make this mistake a lot. I just talk about these things, um, just assuming that everyone knows what they are, which maybe they do, maybe they don't. But for people listening, Burden of Dreams was the first proposed V-17 in the world. First ascent by Nale um, several years ago now. And it was, um, featured in a film called The Lapnor Project, which is like a 30 minute film, really well done. And it, it was Nolly's, you know, home project in Finland. And he put like six seasons into it or something, like 80 plus days and sent the thing. And it just looks like an outdoor board climb. It's just like a five or six move, just pure sort of boulder problem on this uh, overhanging face. And it just looks insanely hard. So <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And it it's
1: kind of like got like a rare simplicity to it as well, which is yes fun like strangely quite alluring um but alongside that and like kind of like the significance of this boulder within climbing um i think at the time as well i was like i'd also just like made the full decision to like kind of step away from competitions and i think a big part of that is goal setting has always been really important to me and it's kind of like the act of setting a goal within competitions is relatively easy in that it's so like it's so measurable you have a specific date of this competition and you have a number at the end of that day and you want it to be as low as possible and that's your rank and like you can like create a cut-off point where like this is ambitious but like i'm this is what i'm going for whereas outdoors like I'd found for a little while, like I was like, Oh, I'm really motivated to try this. This looks great. Like I'll try all these things. I want to do this project, but like I was like lacking the structure of that, like ambitious goal. Like I've always liked having goals, which are, like very ambitious. Like I've always found that's like, uh, really driven me. Um, and so in search of like an ambitious goal, this was like the very obvious choice, uh, Like it was like kind of at the time, definitely the hardest boulder in the world. Um, And I was like so intrigued by it that, uh, yeah, I kind of like set that as my goal. And I think part of me, because all I had to go off really was that video. Um, I didn't know anyone who tried it and um, uh, I've never met Nali. So, I kind of only had that video to go off. And I think part of me at the time, it looks like it is small holds, um, like on a board, which usually suits me quite well. Um, And I mean, they are small holds and it is basically a board. Uh, I think on a discussion of styles, it suited me a lot less well than I think I expected it would. Mm. So essentially the mechanics behind that is the rock is really slick the holes aren't that in cut. And so basically what that means is because the holes are like kind of flat or slopy and it's slippy rock, like you can't really rely on any for generating any force outwards from the rock. You rely on like compression between these like slick edges. And so to do the moves, like the first move and the last move are like the obvious hard moves, you've got to move so quickly. Like you've got to be able to like generate force really powerfully to like get into a position which isn't once you're in the positions are not that hard though like the hard but like you're like relatively stable in that position and you're relatively unstable in the position you generate from you've just got to move lightning quick between them mm. and Nalle really good at that now that I've gone and tried that boulder and looked at that video back like I can see how like dynamically moves between those those positions like he's amazing at that kind of style of climbing and I've always relied on going quite slow, kind of creating control and stability in those positions and the feet are just too bad and the holds are too slopey and slick to be able to do that. So you do have to just like move so quickly and like kind of snap between these positions. Um, And so that was something that was hard enough that really kind of emphasized that gap in my climbing. And like, it's funny to watch me, like I watch clips of me trying it and I'm like, wow, I'm like so sluggish on that move. <laughs> it kind of looks like, I'm kind of like, because I know I can hold the positions quite comfortably. I'm like, oh, can't you just do it? Like I just willing my like heart arm to move quicker. But, um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, it's kind of like, in many ways it was like, obviously I wanted to be able to do well on it or like maybe better than I did. But it was quite exciting. Like it feels possible for me in that like, the positions feel comfortable and like the middle section I was quite reliable on. Um, But like, it just feels like it feels like I have to, to do that climb. It feels like I have to be a better climber. And I've spoken loads about like, understanding what style you enjoy and like, kind of like what you're good at. And like, I know that that's not what I'm good at, but like, it's kind of like something which is really ambitious, really challenges me. And like, I have to adapt Which kind of like a different challenge in itself like
0: Mm.
1: one day i'd love to find a climb that suits me really well or like almost perfectly and find a bit of rock which like suits that style and like takes me a really long time to be able to do it in my perfect style and i think that's that's like you just had we had that discussion of difficulty and mastery like so i spoke to i recently did a podcast with hazel finley And we discussed a lot about this. She actually pitched me the question of mastery and that's really got what got me thinking about it. And I kind of feel like in many ways, because it's kind of so subjective, the idea of mastery within climbing, my kind of perspective on it was, I felt like it was like something which like, is like kind of quite a collaborative thing in that, like, cause no one person, like some people might say mastery is to be able to walk up to any bit of rock and be able to climb it. Like, whether you're in Font or whether you're in Switzerland or whether you're in the Lake District or whether you're in Wyoming, like you can just, or Yosemite, you can just climb any bit of rock. Some people might be like, to be as close to the physical, like limits of human capabilities in a certain style, you might look at like burden of dreams. But I don't think, I don't think we've like really have had anything that close to the limits of human potential in climbing yet, but um, it might just be like, something which is like something which somebody really excels in like it's like it's like a a little contribution towards mastery but like because it's like such a subjective definition it feels like it's a work of like a collective this like concept of mastery and so i feel like for me like that's a way which we like can come contribute to that like to find the things that we're good at like to find the bits of rock which kind of like allows us to kind of uh dis- not display it, and that sounds quite performancy. um but like it like the those bits of rock then stand as like a bit of like a like a measure of like the kind of level in that style mm. um, which like I don't know, I've been like really inspired by that in my climbing, um like seeing all the thing, but lots of like it's cool actually like lots of like the mellow crew, which I got to meet this well i'd met daniel before but like i hadn't met dave before it's cool like when i was growing up i was like so inspired by those guys um and it's quite they're all like Dan, dave daniel and sean are all like uh obvious like age gaps and like i mean they're actually all been at the top of the game for like years but it's quite cool to see how like um they all climb together anyway but like anyway i feel like for me they've always like contributed quite a lot to like mastery in certain places in the world or certain aspects of bouldering i don't know i found that really inspiring myself so Mm. i feel like yeah i'd love to be able to find a bit of rock one day which like is really ambitious and suits me perfectly and it feels like i could maybe make some contributions to that concept but it's kind of like a completely different like challenge and i love i really enjoy being challenged um and being challenged in like climbing context because i kind of like love the feeling of climbing anyway um this is kind of like a very new like different kind of avenue of climbing and trying to like fit into or trying to relate to something that somebody else has been really good at so like nally with burden of dreams it's like i've found like i've got to like try and uh relate to that feeling myself and I don't know. I feel like I have a long way to go, but it's quite exciting. It's quite like a novel way of moving for me. And I'm quite looking forward to like training in that style a bit more Uh, frustratingly with my people that might've seen that, uh, replica training video that, um, I did with my friend, Sam, uh, who's the guy who runs wedge. Um, but I haven't really been able to actually train on it that much. Um, so I set it up in the middle of summer. Um, which is so it's way too warm, and it's pretty skin intensive to climb, and those are pretty slick holds. I think that replica might be a little bit harder even than the real thing, but um, uh, could just the texture of them. Uh, and I also I like I think I like errd uh, slightly on the steeper side, um, and so well it is kind of for, it's forty five, but it's kind of like forty five point six or something (laughs) (laughs) i just wanted to make sure i wasn't making an easier version but yeah i overcooked i overcooked it (laughs) (laughs) but but but, um i haven't really been able to train on it that much anyway i picked up a finger injury as well which kind of stopped me but this winter my hope is to be able to do a bunch more on it and uh, i don't really feel a rush which is quite nice nice like i'm aware i'm quite young i've got a lot of time and I'm aware that boulder's not going anywhere. So I don't feel the time pressure so much. I think like, it's kind of a weird thing. Like I feel fortunate in that I'm usually always like motivated enough within climbing to, I have like this drive for like self-development. I haven't quite understood it yet, but mm-hmm. I've always been motivated to want to train and be and better myself. And so like, I'm not too concerned that by not having like a time on like uh, not like putting a date on when I want to do stuff that I'm not like falling behind or slacking or taking my eye off the ball. Um, I usually find it having specific goals gives me some form of direction but I would probably be doing a lot of training and trying to be better even if I didn't have specific things that I was trying to do. It would probably just feel it would feel a bit more meaningless, even if the meaning I derive is from climbing kind up of a bit of rock, but <laughs> we won't get so
0: philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool though. I mean, like that was kind of the, you know, I, I think I had heard from Tom Herbert initially that you were planning planning to go try that thing. And of course that was so exciting because, you know, there's maybe three or four proposed V-17s now in the world, but none of them have been repeated yet. So the thought of you going and trying and potentially repeating burden of Dreams is just, that's big news. That's really cool and climbing. And so, yeah, super interesting to hear that it, um, because it's a board style on crimps, you expected it to fit you really well. It doesn't fit you quite as well as you hoped, but it sounds like it's still very much a priority for you. It's like at the top of the list.
1: Yeah, no, in terms of like more tan, like, yeah, I'm pretty happy to be transparent about I like, I'm really keen. I'm going out to Switzerland next week. Um, uh, and I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, my hope is once I'm back, um, which will be like mid November or something, my plan is kind of to try and train effectively on that replica over the winter um, to get to a point where I feel like I'd have. But I probably would, because I've got the replica, it's kind of good. It's a long way for me to travel. Um, and so, you know, like in order to like kind of respect that, I can like kind of, the replica is helpful in that it will mean that I probably will only do that journey when I'm relatively confident that I have like all the tools to do that boulder. So I think like it's going to be really useful in that sense. But my hope is to be able to train over the winter and should things go well. It's hard to like predict my progression on it, but should things go well to then in spring, go out back out to Finland and uh, go and try that thing. So nice. Yeah,
0: yeah, we'll see what does that what does that mean to you? um do you feel like you have to send the replica before going, or is it just more go by feel like just having a sensation of feeling confident on each of the sections of it like what is it gonna take for you to feel like, okay, I'm ready to go back to Finland to try this thing
1: uh to me to be honest, just doing the moves on that one would probably be enough like okay,
0: <laughs> it really
1: does feel like it does feel hard um i th- I think it does feel a bit harder. So if I could do the moves on it, that would probably be a pretty good indication. Maybe the reliability of the last move as well would be quite important to me. The first move, it's kind of okay if that's not reliable because it's the first move. But um, uh, if you drop in the last move, nine times out of 10, it's uh, not encouraging from the start. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, so yeah, in terms of 10, yeah, probably would be yeah, having the last move reliable and maybe being able to do it from one move in would be a good measure for me that I'd have a decent shot.
0: I have a note in front of me. You mentioned that you have a finger injury, so you haven't been able to train on it too much. I just have a note in front of me that says stabbing his hand with screwdriver with a bunch of question marks. And I, I don't really remember. <laughs> Somehow I've managed to forget what we talked about there, but does yeah, that, that make was, any sense um, to you? <laughs> yeah, that was that was actually an unfortunate...
1: Yeah. To be fair, actually, I didn't actually go out to Finland in that good of form. It'd be good to, it would have been nice to try it when I was feeling like I was firing on all cylinders, but yeah, I hadn't been doing, I wasn't actually in particularly good form kind of the whole of 2021 really. Uh, I wasn't like going super well. Um, I wasn't in the greatest place, like just like in my life anyway. And, um, so I was like, a little bit like questioning a lot of things and i don't know if that is some part like filtered into my climbing anyway i wasn't properly in it uh, i wasn't properly loving it to the same degree that i have over the past this past year um uh but then yeah like i think it was less than two weeks before i went out to finland will it have been like 10 days or something i think i had like two sessions after it um before i drove out i was doing some work on my van and it was wet classically in autumn in um in the lakes and uh i was kind of rushing a bit and i just had a flathead screwdriver which i was basically what I ended up i ended up like spearing it into my hand and um, i was actually quite lucky i like missed my index flexor went in between my index flexor and like the main meat of my like thumb muscle um i was quite fortunate um <laughs> so i could like I could still like use my index. I just couldn't like the like the movement of touching my pinky to my thumb. Hmm. I couldn't really do, um, so that made me because because of that, add some stitches in there. Um, I couldn't like, I couldn't snatch holds as much even with my left hand. So I had to be like a little bit more more controlled even. So that was really suboptimal prep yeah uh, uh, so so right now I'm being very careful with the flight screwdrivers. <laughs> <laughs> <But>,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah,
1: no, that was uh yeah, just another layer of complication. I'd almost forgotten about it, actually,
0: but it's quite a funny little detail in the story, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad it sounds like it could have easily been a lot worse, so I'm glad that you uh you've been able to make a recovery from that, yeah, no, I did all right, it was <laughs> relatively short term. A flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> and then I want to ask briefly before we move on, just if you could share your thoughts on replicas. I, I heard you say something interesting. I think it was in that Wedge video when you were showing the viewers the the replica of Burden. And I'll link to that video. You guys should definitely watch it if you're interested in this. Um, super cool to see the shapes of the holds and things. But yeah, you mentioned kind of like a light bulb moment that you had training on your board and noticing how easy, how much easier climbs got when you just were climbing on them all the time. And that kind of led you to this shift in philosophy and really focusing on replicas. But can you talk me through that a little bit? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I definitely, it's quite a fun like jigsaw
1: puzzle as well. Just the act of setting a replica and having it like, I don't know, there's something quite f- fun about like trying to capture a bit of that, like kind of, the climbs on the rocks and like trying to like bring a little bit of them home and uh, kind of like have that familiarity I think like in terms of like the difference I've really noticed I, I set a set a replica of a climb a project I'd been trying in North Wales called Isles of Wonder and it was kind of the sit start to this project and it's like incredibly shouldery um, it's the one I, I managed to do it this summer um v16 and it's like yeah 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 nice 16 yeah, yeah um yeah i think i thought at the time maybe it was the hardest thing i've done to date but um it's also one of the best so that's something I'm, i was definitely um i was pretty chuffed with that one um <laughs> but uh i found training on this replica for that was really helpful in that it's like it brutally like isolates your shoulder your right shoulder this like the crux sequence of the bottom section um and i hadn't done the move when i tried it year before um and what i was finding is i'd have like four goes on the move and then i would feel like my shoulder was like cooked like uh, i had a few sessions a year before and i I'd, I'd have like four or five goes and i'd be like right that's my session over and it's like a 40 minute walk so um up a steep steep hill so like it's like kind of like you want to make your attempts count and I'd like have a session on it and then I'd have like three days of intense doms in my shot. <laughs> like, I like, couldn't function properly. And so anyway, like I set this replica, which like isolates your shoulder in a similar, like in a similar manner. And I actually didn't even have that many sessions on it. I had maybe like four, se- four sessions where I'd try it like not loads of times, but like a few times in that session enough to like kind of induce a few of those like that muscle soreness but it took like a over a period of like two or three weeks um i just had like yeah maybe like a a handful of like half sessions on it and by the time i got to that climb like everything was recruited enough in the position that i could have like i didn't i didn't even get like doms at all the following days like i was just like Uh, it didn't take me very long to recruit into like the brutality of that like specific position which is like very like niche and like i just had kind of it really opened up my eyes to like how valuable it can be um in terms of like preparing you for something where you don't necessarily want like just like your muscle to be like the limiting factor you want like um it's kind of like another thing you can control so like being recruited into those, especially such like alien positions, which felt really helpful. And I also felt like I'd had so over the years, i would created so many, I don't change my board that often, like I'll tweak a little bit, but there's problems I've got on that board, which were like projects or like things which used to be projects. And I've, they've been on there for like six years or something. Um, and I've still like kind of kept those. And I was kind of like, ah. Oh, these are problems which I know so well now and they're probably really hard and like I've learned them and they're so natural for me and I've put like so much time into these things, but I could be doing that on things which like I could set a replica of something outside, which I haven't done and like, mm. and the moves are often like pretty interesting as well. Like, uh, so I can have that level of specific specificity and learn like kind of some something vaguely similar on a replica as opposed to that. And, So I kind of really back the replica setting kind of stuff. Um,
0: It's felt really helpful for me. And I also just really enjoy it. It's fun. And how do you think about being so specific with your training where you're spending a lot, like let's take this winter when you're going to spend a lot of time on the Burden of Dreams replica. How do you think about balancing that focus and specificity with making sure that you're not going to get injured because you're overdoing it on a very specific set of moves, if that makes sense. Like that's something that would be probably concerning to me if I was thinking about just hammering a certain boulder problem in training. Yeah. How do you think about that?
1: Yeah. So like I say, like I do a lot of work on replicas, like I don't solely climb, like times when I have climbed on a replica, I wouldn't have all my sessions like that. I'd usually have it varied, but like i'd have some consistency so like i'd try and do like once a week or something um but i wouldn't just be like day on day off just like on the replica <laughs> on okay. replica. um gotcha uh, okay. so i like maintain some like training structure i found that that has helped i also found like setting your own you have like the opportunity to opportunity to comfortize the things which can be like feel tweaky or like um things which feel risky or uncomfortable like you can kind of make slightly friendlier versions which you can like kind of practice the movements on, on bigger holds or like slightly more comfortable holds or um, whatever and i found that's quite helpful so like the movement is familiar but the kind of like maybe brutality of them isn't always the same you know if that makes sense
0: that makes perfect sense. That's great, man. Um anything else that we should talk about with Burden before we move on?
1: Uh, no, I think that's covered covered many bases.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh you wrote a you wrote an article about it. I'll be uh where where is that for people? I'll be sure to share it in the show notes. The one I originally wrote on it. So, oh,
1: I'll have to find it. It's on I think it's on uh I was used to be sponsored by my friend Louis's company called Catalyst Climbing. And I think it's on that, but um, I, maybe I can send you the link after this. Um, uh, okay. And, uh, yeah, I wrote to like, it's basically a blog article, um, uh, which I wrote about that. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was a fun process. I'm looking forward to
0: continuing it when I'm back. Nice. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay, let's talk more about goals in general. I thought this was really interesting. So you and I had a conversation about goals and goal setting. And I'd just love for you to to tell me about your dad as um, the management consultant and how that has played into your thinking about goals and how you set goals. Yeah, so kind of in everything
1: I've done uh, growing up, um, my dad has, he's been like really supportive and has been uh, really encouraged as to, be quite specific so if there was something that we really wanted to do rather than just being like oh nice like kind of like i'll support you in doing that would be like try and make it explicit enough so like it was like um generally what would happen is i'd have an idea of something i want to do and we'd get out like a massive piece of flip chart paper and we'd kind of always like apply the same formula which i still kind of use today really um of like well it would be result reality and response so he we'd start at like kind of really like what success looked like for us um like kind of yeah where i really wanted to be um and kind of we'd done this in like an academic um like we'd done it i'd done it throughout my studies and then in climbing as well um it was kind of just in anything in general but um climbing the pl- climbing ones we're quite regular we do a few of those um and uh yeah we kind of really lay out something quite measurable or something yeah very precise anyway and then we'd anal- analyze where i currently was whether that be like uh the the boardroom that i set up was like as a result of one of these flip chart papers it's like currently i can like kind of go to a climb or three times a week and that's not enough basically so like then we like discuss the response to like try and bridge the gap between our reality and the result we were looking to get and then there was always something quite like um practical to do um so that kind of like precise goal setting is something that i've been quite familiar with since like from quite a young age um so i've kind of like always uh taken that formula and like kind of yeah, I still do it at the moment really. Um, and it's, it's felt really, it's felt really helpful. Um, it's definitely been different stepping away from competitions, but, um, there's definitely the time element is not a limiting factor so much. So I'm still like kind of a bit unsure. I don't want to be like, I want to do this board about this date because in many ways I look at it and I'm like, Oh, it doesn't really matter. Like, I don't want to like mm-hmm. rush, rush. Yeah. Like I don't want to rush beyond what I'm naturally or quite organically motivated for.
0: Um, mm.
1: So it is kind of like a bit of complexity to it. But generally, that like structure has maintained consistent.
0: That's awesome. So okay, so you start with looking at the result. This is what I want to do. Then you look at the reality. This is where I'm at now. And then the response is like, how do we get from here to there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you? we've already been talking about this a lot, but can you just apply that framework to Althane for me and just share like how you're thinking about how you thought about that with this formula, like how you thought about uh, first the result and then where you were and how that informed your replica and your training for it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I
1: mean, like there's a complex, I've definitely questioned
0: a bit more of like a complexity
1: to this specific or like this example in more recent years in that like, me like setting the result as being like, I want to do our is It's like a project. That's like a result. Like I've definitely like questioned maybe why it's so important to me and not fully understood it. Um, this like whole idea of like self-development or maybe motivation by mastery or whatever that is. Anyway, I haven't fully understood exactly what that is, but just from like the goal setting, like structure, when i would say like yeah i want to do this climb that would be like understand the result i'd kind of i guess our is a funny one in that i initially tried it and wasn't expecting to project anything um so i didn't go to switzerland knowing it even existed um i just tried it and was like oh like this is really fun like i kind of didn't even when i started trying it for multiple sessions i wasn't like right i'm going to project this like I was trying it because I wanted to try it. So it was kind of a bit of an anomaly in that I didn't really do any goal setting at that point. It was just like, right, I want to go try that. That's like kind of, I'd had quite quite an open trip plan for um, Switzerland at that time. But since getting pretty close, I was like, oh, right, like I really enjoyed the whole process. I learned so much about the projecting process trying that. And it is something that I would like to do. And so when I like, was like oh well i'll go back in autumn to try and finish this um i guess my specific analysis of that was what was the limiting factors for me on the climb and like kind of what were like the common things which went wrong lots of it is hard to deduce because lots of it is like out of your control like i think temperature and humidity played a big role and so that's all a bit more of a shot in the dark but the things which i could control i was like oh like realistically what was happening that like i have control over what can i train now um and then like adapting i would usually once i'd set this kind of thing i'd have a discussion with ollie about it um and we would kind of formulate a load of exercises which feel helpful um or like target those things which feel like they were limitations and then uh, yeah and then we'll incorporate he'll incorporate that into a training plan and we'll just like, keep communicating if it's working well um, a replica was part of that response, um, and it felt helpful. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if uh, if the result comes to fruition. But, <laughs> 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 but uh, nice. I actually, I actually enjoy the process of it as well. Like, I set a lot of these goals, which, especially in competition days I've set. I'd set a lot which don't come about, but I've never really felt like too adverse to the possibility of failure for them. Um, which is quite nice.
0: Do you have any goals outside of climbing right now? Um, that's a good question. I guess like
1: I've got things that I'd like to, I haven't, I don't think I've set any like with the same framework of goals that I would like to do outside of my climbing. I feel like climbing is very much the world in which I operate at the moment. I don't know if I always will. Uh, I just stopped my studies. Like, I studied until like last year, summer last year, um, and decided to go full time with this climbing gig. But within, like, I guess it's kind of within the climbing world, but not my own climbing. There are like things which I would like to do, or like are very important to me, but are like a lot. Less measurable or kind of not really like measurable. Like, I've kind of like understood with becoming quite like or becoming quite good at climbing, like, there comes with it a certain amount of influence. And I kind of like have thought quite a lot. A lot of this, I think, came from a lot of discussions with my dad when I was younger as well. He's always like, kind of maybe challenges a lot on like what we'd like to contribute, um, contribute to the world and just the things that we do and like climbing is a game in which I operate. So I do have definitely questioned a lot about like the contributions I want to make to that. And I don't necessarily know whether all of them are within climbing itself, like as in like, obviously I'm a climber, but like I'd like to hope that I can maybe inspire like, helpful ways of living to people which aren't solely climbing related. Like, I don't solely hope to inspire people to climb harder projects. And, I mean, like, that's nice (laughs) because I was obviously inspired by that and I'm grateful for those who inspired me. But I kind of, like, hope that I can maybe contribute some interesting ideas outside of that as well. Um, And I've kind of been working that, like, whole concept. I've been working a lot more on in recent times um uh, i actually just started a podcast with my friend um not long ago which kind of feels like a nice way in which i can communicate ideas i have with people uh i mean i'm sure you find this a lot like having a podcast like ideas you feel that like can be like valuable to contribute to the community like it's a really good way of interacting um whereas i don't feel like i've always been able to do that so well um with more like fast paced modern forms of social media, the like Instagrams and stuff. But um, uh, so that's been nice. And actually, more recently, even I've uh, just released a, a magazine that I've been working on with a couple of friends, which has been quite a big project for me, actually. But that's been, that's felt really valuable in that like we're all quite like minded, the people um, I've set that up with. There's, two others of them and it kind of feels like the content we've been able to produce has been like curated by quite like like-minded or quite distinct values we've had and mm. so like kind of being a bit more considerate about that has felt like yeah a lot more fulfilling so mm. i don't really know if that's a goal i wouldn't say that's so much a goal but it's something like and like working towards is very hard to measure
0: that's like awesome. Yeah, totally. I t- I how totally relate. Helpful to that. you are in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I that resonates really strongly with me. I mean, I started this whole thing because there was a client, a super geeky performance and training oriented climbing podcast that didn't exist that I wanted to listen to. But it's become such a such a cool opportunity and in a way a responsibility I, I feel to. Share different perspectives, different ideas, just broaden people's minds, open them up, and get them thinking about things that uh, that uh, that feel important to me or that feel important to my guests, and you know, d- draw people in with talk about finger training, and then surprise them by talking about <laughs> environmentalism <laughs> and travel or whatever it is. So, I I I think that's awesome that you're doing that, and it's it's cool. So, I actually checked out your podcast this morning, Careless Talk. I'll be sure to link to it in the show notes. I loved your cover <laughs> art <laughs> who, who made that yeah. that that was sam we were kind nice. of coming and Ring about
1: like what serious uh cover art we could come up with and that was it yeah the yeah the uh um, i wonder actually if you ended up listening to the early ones we've since um f- figured out a uh, bit more of a Easier than
0: audio setup. Oh, okay. The first couple can be, can be oh, Okay. I, I haven't. No. I mean, it sounds great. I I just listened to like fifteen minutes of uh, your conversation with Dave Mason. Um, oh yeah. Because yeah. he's someone I met years ago. I met him in like 2012 with Mina in Joe's Valley, and um, I'd love hit to have him on the podcast someday. So I was checking that one out, and the audio sounds good. Yeah, you guys are doing a oh, good nice. job. Nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's been a uh, it's been a fun process. Yeah. No, I like that chat with Dave. he's, he's a good man.
0: But yeah, with, with the podcast and the magazine, um, maybe the magazine in particular, you said that you're, it's this cool opportunity to, you know, to work with these like-minded people that have similar values. What are some of those values? What are some of the things that you, like, I, I have this kind of trial question that I want to start asking people maybe in every interview and, um, something along the lines of like, what's something that feels really important to you that you just want people to th- spend more time thinking about you know um whether that's yeah that can be anything that can be climbing related or or something else I kind of have a, a guess as what it might be with you but yeah what comes yeah. to mind for you no
1: that's actually that's
0: actually funny you asked that um I'll get you
1: a copy of this um magazine at some point but I actually wrote an article about it which was kind of exactly on those lines um you were asking like what you want people to think about and over the past few years, the thing that I thought a lot about was the impact of traveling um, or just like the impacts we have, like from an environmental perspective, the impacts we have on the world and travel being one, which is like, I think in climbers in general, like, I know I certainly was, I traveled like excessively, <laughs> excessively is the one word, but I did so much traveling, um, which was like, as an experience, amazing, but I just wasn't like quite aware of like, it wasn't, that I wasn't quite aware of the impact. It's like, I just hadn't really thought about it. Like I was so detached from it. Right. Totally. Um, and I don't know if I've always communicated it too well in the past. So in this magazine, I, I like tried to capture a bit of like, I guess my objective was to like, try and encourage people to really consider what they look for in their climbing experiences and see how much of what they really look for they can find in their locality and things which they can't then to consider like the impacts of the traveling that we do and like maybe like try and further respect that traveling so or like i don't know there's a big difference between like flying to a place for a week four times a year or doing trying to take a month long trip once a year or something like from a travel perspective it obviously makes a really big difference and i mean it's mm. obviously maybe that's an extreme example not most people don't have the time for that but it felt like for me that was something i um in order for, to feel credible to make suggestions to people's lives it felt like i really needed to somewhat walk the walk myself mm. um and i'm not saying that i had i don't like as a climber i don't have that much influence over the climbing community like I think I've just had, I've definitely got more than I used to. And I think as I've become like more known as a climber, I've begun to realize that um, I'm not only responsible for my impact on the world, but also responsible for the impact of the lifestyle, which I advocate. So, Mm. um, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So like, if I like fly, about so I think I notice it really well. Alex explain. yeah, I wrote about this quite a bit, but like I was really inspired by like some amazing climbers. Um and like I'm really grateful for that. Like I'm this is something I've always been quite sensitive towards. I never want to appear like you guys should all be doing this. Like it's not like some like self-righteous endeavor I'm trying to <laughs> trying to embark on. Um I'm like, so grateful to these people, which inspired me, but essentially like, I've always looked at like videos of people climbing in Colorado or South Africa or the Grampians and like being like, wow, that's so different and so amazing. And these people are flipping incredible. Like they're living the life. And then I started getting better at climbing and I started being able to function on the boulders they were doing. Then I started doing the the boulders that they were doing. And then I was like, South Africa, flights are booked. Colorado, I'm going. I mean, I never went to Grampians, but I like kind of, it took like the global pandemic really for me to like stop and be like, oh, hang on a minute. Like, I was so inspired by these people. And like, that kind of inspiration led me to do this lifestyle of so much traveling. And kind of, it feels like I have the opportunity here to somewhat like not break that cycle, but like, I don't necessarily know whether I want to contribute. To that role mm. myself, um, uh, and I'm not saying I inspire people to like the same level that Dave Graham or Daniel Woods do, but like it feels like if I have influence on the world, I want to like make the contributions I can or try to be helpful. And I think like what this is referencing to is like I think most people can agree that throughout all of like the frustrations of like the environmental crisis, the lack of the momentum. Of those who have a lot of influence is quite annoying. So this isn't on the, this isn't on like the scale of like within climbers. I think it's like kind of more people who have influence over policy and all. Like mm. I think like the inertia of those who have the ability to bring about like genuine significant change has like somewhat inspired like really radical a- action of those who have like very little influence themselves just because like it's not changing. And it might be the circles of people I spend my time with, but I see so many like really good people making massive changes to their lifestyle in order to like reduce their environmental impact. And I mean they do it with a good heart. And Dan's a good example. Like I mean he probably won't speak much about it, but he got a test the way before it was cool. <laughs> and he's just installed <laughs> he installed a load of sol- solar in his house recently so it's running all off electricity or mm. um, well, mostly off electricity so he's like really aware of it um, and I know like I have just like a bunch of people who are like making really big changes to their lives and like that's really cool and it makes a difference but like it's arguable whether like I mean you're saying at the start of the conversation like October is a new August in terms of like temperatures <laughs> like yeah that's like it's there's a question as to whether like it's enough at this point mm. Um, mm. and anyway it feels to me like a load of good people end up picking this picking up the slack for the neglect of people with far more power or far uh, more influence and it's like yeah it feels sad to me that concept and anyway yeah all of it kind of feels a bit saddening so for me like i know it's like a bit like philosophical but it felt like with me having some influence over like perhaps like the lifestyle i live and like it's somewhat influencing other people it felt like if i had a contribution to make it felt sad for me not to at least make the effort to do something helpful and yeah i mean I feel like I've found a lot more, that was like kind of the motivation of like my travel considerations. So I don't really fly anymore or like I haven't f- flown in a little while. I flew in 2019, I think last, but um, I've made conscious efforts to try and uh, reduce that. And I'm not saying that everyone has to do that, obviously, but I feel like I've found like a lot more fulfillment or a lot more value in doing things locally or doing things uh, I don't know. It feels like it. it is more than just like the quality of the climbing itself. There's like the experience of it as well. And just the experience of travel. I've definitely learned a lot of things. Perhaps I didn't necessarily know I was going to find out, but it feels like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've mostly said what I was going to say, <laughs> but like it hasn't nec- what I'm saying is despite this change to my like lifestyle in terms of travel, it hasn't actually felt at all a detriment to my climbing experience, which is, I think, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think there's ways to... It gets often presented as, like, you either live your life or you take massive, devastating changes to your life and, like, you can't go and do your project in South Africa. That's not what I'm saying. Like, basically, you can often find things you don't necessarily expect a lot closer to home. Mm. Um, And, uh, I mean, most of your listeners probably based around places in america but there's like amazing things there and like i mean yeah okay i feel so fortunate as well um okay so that's a long-winded way of saying yeah the magazine that i've bought out it's called spotter magazine um, uh, but that was like definitely the thought process like which like helped define like this like very distinct value and that was kind of like the thing that really like drew me into trying to produce something that could help convey those messages through people's stories and then there's a few more different values which we def like defined as well but has been like for me that was really what drew me to wanting to produce this magazine as well and uh, it's been a really fun process um yeah hopefully uh, hopefully it can
0: make some uh or at least get some people to think Well, thanks, man. That was a perfect answer. I mean, my, my intention with this question is not to have, you know, my guest or anybody tell anyone else what to value or what to think. It's just that it's just adding that question mark to your, you know, in your case, to the traveling experience. And it's, that's really perfect because, um, you know, I'm, I'm already applying that to myself. Like I have for a long time thought, I always feel overwhelmed when I go to new climbing areas because I'm the type of climber that wants to check every single box in the guidebook, you know, like I want to do everything. And so (laughs) I feel really overwhelmed at the thought of traveling overseas. And I don't feel like I need to necessarily because there's so much climbing to experience here in the States. And I'm so grateful that I get to travel around in in the van and, and be able to do that. Um, but having said that, I'm going to sound like a total hypocrite, like I am planning to go to Rocklands next summer. And I really think there's, I'm really excited about that. I think there's going to be a ton of value in that cultural experience and, and and seeing that. But you're already getting me think about like how to how to add that question mark of what is the impact of this trip to that equation and maybe... I don't know, like maybe I'll look into how to offset my CO2 for that trip and calculate what it's, what the impact is going to be of that, you know, that plane ticket to get over there. Yeah. And it's, it's a good example as well. Like,
1: cause I don't want like, yeah, I'm not trying to suggest like that people don't travel. And obviously like these places are amazing and like, I have no doubt you'll have a flipping amazing time in Rockland. And like, I don't want, I'm never going to be like, oh yeah, don't don't do that because obviously like I don't want to jeopardize any like enriching experiences. And also like, it's very like, I think it's nice, like you were saying, putting a question mark for people to like think just like to have it as like awareness of like the impact that has. And maybe it will inspire people to make, yeah. um, Have like longer or kind of like, trips maybe they even more like just appreciate it more to like kind of like really understand like the privilege of the travel that they've done they can actually like admire like the distances they've traveled as well like it's not saying like yeah never travel <laughs> <laughs> right <'Cause I> was <laughs> yeah yeah but uh yeah no it's an interesting it is an interesting point and i kind of am very much aware that i can never say to people don't travel because obviously like it's amazing too and like i'm going to continue doing it and my lifestyle is far from perfect like i travel around in in my van which is diesel which is suboptimal um but like people are always going to travel i think i just like you saying put a question mark people kind of like think about what you look for your climbing experience look look for in your climbing experiences and see what you can find locally and when you can't just to like yeah make your best attempt to like respect the distances you do travel
0: that's great man i mean one example that popped out to me from our first conversation in talking about this i think i'd asked you are you going to come back to the states you know there's so many hard boulders here now um, even since you were here last time there's so many things in the park and um, down in waco i think you'd be able to just crush and be really fun to see you climb here. And I think you said something along the lines of, well, I'm trying to limit my travel right now. So I would love to go back to the States, but I think I'll wait until I can just go live there for a year. And I thought that was really cool. I mean, that's, you're still coming over here. you're You're still planning on experiencing a lot of the climbing here, but just, you know, rather than doing like six two week trips over the next few years, kind of saving all that up and just taking one plane trip across the ocean instead of a bunch of different ones back and forth. Yeah. I think this can be so much
1: more immersive as well. Um, like the flying is quite a funny thing in that, like you like get picked up in one place and just dropped in another and kind of like, you don't, you don't really connect so much with like the journey you've taken, like the changing mm-hmm. of the scenery and like kind of in this case. Yeah. I, I mean, like, like you referenced then I would love to come to America again. Um, there's so much I want to do out there, but yeah, I think I'd probably come and live out there for a little bit, which I think I will do over the next few years at some point. Um, I'm yeah, kind of really looking forward to that, but I think it, I'll probably get a lot more out of it culturally as well, as opposed to, like you say, like quick trips where you don't really have time to think about anything but projects.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, thanks, Aiden. I've been incredibly greedy with you, no, no, <laughs> but I, I really no, appreciate no your noise. time, man. This has been so much fun. And uh, yeah, for yeah. yeah, for everyone listening, thank you guys for submitting so many questions. I know we covered a number of them in just the flow of conversation here. So I think what I'll do, Aiden, is I'll go through the list. I'll kind of organize it in a way that hits on the things that we didn't cover or expands on the things that we only covered briefly. And then uh, whenever you're ready, maybe when you're back from Switzerland or when you have a a rainy rest day or something, we can do another one and we can just tackle a bunch of questions from patrons. Yeah, that sounds perfect.
1: Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that. All right, Um, man. But yeah, no, thanks so much for taking the time to chat. It's really nice to catch up.
0: Yeah, super fun. Really good to get to know you a little bit. And uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. And good luck. You're leaving in a week yeah yeah that's the plan okay
1: no i'll uh, I'll
0: keep you updated (laughs) okay how long is your trip um do you have a a planned duration or you yeah just till the weather turns
1: i think it will be about four weeks i think there's like basically so much out there i think it will probably towards the end of that be too cold for our fame but um okay there's so much other stuff i'd like to try as well so um Hopefully, close some accounts, but looking forward to definitely opening up some new ones
0: as well. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome. Well, I was going to ask if there's any way for people to follow along with your trip, but I think by the time this comes out, you'll probably be just wrapping up. So, um, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll share all the things, Aiden Roberts, in the show notes at the nuggetclimbing.com. I think I've seen you on Instagram. Are you active on Instagram? Yeah, yeah, I use Instagram. Yeah, that's my platform. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I'll be yeah, able. Yeah, I'll, I'll be sure to link to Aiden Roberts on Instagram and also your podcast, Careless Talk, and uh, I'll find links to your magazine and some of the other writing that you've done as well to share for people. And for those of you who enjoy this conversation, definitely check out some of the videos in the show notes for this episode. Check out the Alphane video and uh, the Wedge video and some of the other things that Aiden's been featured in to watch how freaking strong this guy is on the rock and how controlled he is between those tiny crimps. It's pretty amazing to see. So, But yeah. Oh, thanks for having me on, Stephen. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been so nice. And uh, I hope
1: you uh, get some favorable weather this afternoon.
0: Thanks so much. I'm going to head out there right now and uh, give the project a try. Oh, good luck. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'll
1: catch you before too long.
0: Okay. Sounds good, man.
1: Perfect. Take care. See soon.
0: Bye. See ya. Bye. Hey, friends. Before you go, don't forget to check out Frictitious Climbing. Head over to frictitiousclimbing.com to shop for hangboards and accessories. Use code NUGGET at checkout for free shipping. The easy board might be the cleverest hangboard design I've ever seen. The hangboard doorway mount is a convenient way to train in your home or apartment so go check them out also don't forget to check out Petzl shop for Petzl harnesses at your local climbing shop or online at Petzl.com and get the comfort and performance you deserve they make harnesses for whatever type of climbing you love to do using four unique constructions to build their harnesses whatever it is you love Petzl harnesses have you covered you can experience the difference with Petzl Also, be sure to check out the Arc'teryx film, Free As Can Be. If you love climbing, especially if you love trad climbing or stories from Yosemite, I'm sure you'll love the film. Head over to YouTube, search for Arc'teryx Free As Can Be, or use the direct link right there in your podcast app to watch the full 31-minute film for free. Also, be sure to check out Fizzy Vantage. I take their supercharged collagen every day to support my finger training. I can't recommend it enough if you're training your fingers check it out head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code nugget 15 at checkout you'll save 15% off your next order and finally last but definitely not least don't forget to check out crimped head over to crimped.com or find the crimped app in the app store the free version gives you access to 75 different workouts created by professional coaches tom randall and ollie tor of lattice training you heard aiden talk about ollie in this podcast these guys are legit their training programs are legit and the app is awesome so go check it out you can try it for free and see if you like it and that is it my friends i hope you enjoyed this conversation with aiden as much as i did stay tuned he's going to come back on the show we're going to answer all of your patron questions and do a patron q a and a follow-up so stay tuned for that thank you guys again for listening i hope you have an amazing week much love to all of you